you have arrived. Do not adjust your monitor. Make sure your tinfoil hat is shiny. Lock your doors. If you're standing, sit down. If you're sitting, lie down. If you're driving, please pull over. Swipe and share. Curse and comment. Open debate. Trolls welcome. Resist or mega. Left or right. Darkness or light. Flight or fight. Political turmoil. Innuendo. Lies. Deception. Rhetoric. Fake news. AI. Extremism. Lucifer. And laughs. Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Good evening. Hope everyone's doing well. turn that one up that was purely accidental i have all of my music on just like a random playlist it doesn't get much better than this the late great nick curran sorry <laughs> indulge me What a great way to kick off a Thursday night. Thanks for joining us, guys. Good to see you. Hope you've had a lovely week. I certainly have, as always. Very exciting week. Great voice. Oh, yeah. The late, great, the late, great Nick Curran. I think he actually died of throat cancer, unfortunately. So, you can see my hands, yeah. I've decided to lighten it up a little bit. Put a little bit more light. A little bit more white in the light. Thanks for joining us. So many. Am I wearing camo? Yeah. I'm wearing camo flannelette, so it's kind of like G.I. Joe meets uh, Canadian. That's what I'm going for today. I'm going for the Canadian... <laughs> the Canadian marine superhero woodchopper look. That's, that's my go. I think it's a market I can tap into. I don't know. What do you think? Thanks for joining us. Like I said, it's been a big week. Hope you're all having a lovely time. Happy Friday from Sydney, says Netrag. Netrag's in Sydney, not normally. There you go. Normally in the red centre this week in Sydney. Sandra, Lady Fritzer, it's good to see you. Iowa for Trump. Jackal's last laugh. 
Thanks for joining us over there on YouTube. Kimmy, Sandra, it's not hot shit. <laughs> Lainey, good to see you. Tessa, Tom Chatelet, thanks for joining us. A, com a Canadian commando. Aye. That's about right. So we do have plenty of stuff to go over. Obviously, did everyone survive the midterms? I got about an hour and a half sleep that night. Um, believe it or not, even though I was being told that everything was over, you can go to bed for about seven hours of the eight hours of counting coverage. <laughs> Something within me thought, no, I, I better just stick around just in case, just a little bit. All right, call me cynical. Call me cynical. Uh, but when Wolf Blitzer and Jake Tapper are on the screen saying to me, no, it's all done. It's all taken care of. You just go back to bed. We'll we'll take care of the rest. It's fine. You don't need to know anymore. <laughs> Something deep inside me tends to think, maybe I should stick around. Maybe I should stick around. Supervise. Supervise a little bit. Oppy Lane, thanks for joining us. If a victim of arm rape, call 1-800-DILLY-DILLY. Will do. Will do. Yes, they are still counting. And apparently people are not so happy in the great state of Florida and the not so great state of corrupt Arizona. And I only say that because people who I've who I've known from Arizona have often told me that is it is the most corrupt state in the United States. So <laughs> Denver Night Out, it's good to see you. So that's what they're telling me. They said, Arizona is absolutely the most corrupt shithole in the country. And it's not my word. It's not, it's not me telling you that. It's somebody else. Somebody else. Don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot me. It's not even sort of over, says Lady Fritzer. Well, it will be interesting. Brett, thanks for joining us. Good to see you there from sunny Melbourne. Sunny sometimes. It will be interesting to see what happens. It is reminiscent of the 2000 era, isn't it? I said to uh, Tom Chatelet, get me Roger Stone. The famous storming of the counting room back in 2000. <laughs> we need more drama in Western politics, I think. I don't think there's enough. I, I just don't think that there's enough drama. A little bit of drama never hurt anyone. A lot of drama can only be good. That's what I'm thinking anyway. What about Jeff Sessions? Jeff Sessions was slow walked out of the administration the day after the election. We spoke about this on the podcast. I won't go over old ground too much, but there are a number of ways that you can look at the Jeff Sessions incident. Uh, the first thing I will say is, you know, people are asking, was he, was he pushed or uh, did he jump, right? Did he quit or was he fired? And, you know, my only suggestion to that would be, if he quit, why was the first sentence on his letter to Donald Trump, why did it state, um, due to your request or as per your request, I am handing in my resignation? See, generally when people resign, they won't make it, they won't make it clear in an official document that they are being asked to resign. That is abnormal behaviour. So if he was indeed jumping, if he did indeed quit of his own free will, why would he decide to lie about it in his resignation letter? Because that would be a lie, wouldn't it? 
if he was choosing to leave, why would he say, as per your request? Then he would have to be lying. Now, if the guy's lying on his resignation letter, why do we trust him? Simple questions. <laughs> of course, like, I, I don't have anything against Jeff Sessions. I actually think he's very a good man, a constitutionalist. I think... Um, He's obviously done some good things in his job that can't be denied in regards to illegal immigration, for one. So, you know, I don't think it's always... I, I, I do have a problem with binary choices. Binary choices. I, I don't like... It's either all good or it's either all bad. It's very rare. It's very seldom in politics or in life even that something is going to be all good or all bad. That people are going to be all good or all bad. That their performance is going to be all good or all bad. Even a toilet cleaner will occasionally miss a piece of shit under the rim from time to time. Even if every single other time they clean the toilet, you could eat a roast dinner off it. Right? So I think we, we get ourselves into these trappings, these, these intellectual trappings. If you, have any, if you have any points of criticism of Jeff Sessions, well, you must be a bad person because he was really good. And if you do nothing but praise the guy, well, you must be insane because obviously he did some stuff bad and so on and so forth. You can see the problem. Thanks for the visual, says Patriot Dana on stream. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, Sandra says, sometimes a good person does bad things. Sometimes bad people do good things as well. I mean, it's the whole yin-yang thing, right? So just because I think he was probably, you know, I think he's probably a very, you know, non-confrontational guy. I think he's a bit of a southern gentleman. And we'll play a little bit of him later on. And, you know, being a southern gentleman, being a guy that's perhaps confrontation-averse does tend to lead to uh, a perception being created around you that you are weak, that you're not ready for the fight and whatnot. And that might not necessarily be fair. But then again, um, his unwillingness to make more pronounced public statements, more aggressive moves, may lead other people to getting the perception that he is indeed weak. So... It all depends on how you see it. Like I said, there's a lot of theories about that out there. The first one I mentioned, the first issue I have is, um, again, if he if he was pushed, uh, if he if he jumped, if he chose to resign, then I find it highly irregular that he would put in the very first statement of his official letter to Donald Trump as per your request. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. The other thing is the timing of it. And again, now we've we've spoken about this topic quite a bit lately, haven't we? This this perception is reality stuff. We are now living in the post-truth era, and you know I don't I don't want it to be that, but unfortunately, you got to deal with what you got. You got to play the cards that you dealt. So, for many reasons, many factors, we are now living in an era where subjective perception is treated as assumed truth. So within that framework, 
there are many ways that you can view the events that took place less than 24 hours after the Democrats won back the House. There was no date on the letter, says Sandra. Well, that's interesting. That's very interesting indeed. I mean, it wouldn't... It, I don't think that Donald Trump decided the day after the election to fire Jeff Sessions, but he may have decided a long time ago, if we lose the House, then I'm going to fire Jeff Sessions. If that makes any sense at all. So here's what I'm thinking. The... you. You, Donald Trump is someone who strikes me as always having a contingency plan for whatever happens. Like, And you need that in the building game. You need that in real estate, really. Because, I mean, you're dealing with deliveries, tradies, supplies, architects, investors, the whole lot. And you can't have one thing just throw a... Sp- you can't have one event throw a spanner into the works and then derail the entire operation when you're, when you're dealing in millions and millions of dollars worth of commodity, right? You just can't go about your business that way. Unions, right? Frank, thanks for joining us. So you would always have a contingency plan. Well, if the delivery is late, then we do this. If the investor doesn't pull through, then we do this. If the tradies don't show up on time, then we go to this this option here. So it would make total sense to me. And I imagine that Donald Trump and indeed his inner circle, and probably the Republican strategists as well, would have had contingency plans for a whole number of scenarios, which may or may not have included, but I suggest would. I look white. Oh, no. Ruth Ruth in the chat saying I look white. This is terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. This is, not the, this is definitely not the look I'm going for. I want to be inclusive too. Right? <laughs> Can't I be inclusive too? I guess not. It's funny you say that because wait till you see our first story that we're going to feed through the shredder. But so I suspect he would have had some kind of contingency plan for we win the House, we win the Senate. We lose the House, we win the Senate. We lose the House, we lose the Senate. We win the Senate, we lose the House and all of the combinations, right? I suspect there would have been some kind of action plan, quote unquote, for each of those scenarios. Now, considering that and considering the mentality of the guy, then perhaps it's, you know, feasible to assess the firing of Jeff Sessions less than 24 hours after the midterm results, where it was indeed clear that the Republicans would lose the House, and considering what happens as a flow-on from the Republicans losing the House. Well, of course, the obvious one is that Adam Schiff, you know Shifty? He becomes head of the Intelligence Committee, the chair of the Intelligence Committee. Now, as the head of the Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, you can bet your bottom dollar, five will get you ten, is absolutely going to investigate anybody who has ever spoken to a Russian, anybody who's ever had a cocktail containing vodka, anybody who's ever been to the... maybe anybody who's ever been to Europe at all. Because that's close to Russia. That is absolutely going to happen. He is going to subpoena every single person in the Trump administration, past, present and future. That is absolutely going to happen. 
and every possible contention accusation is going to be leveled at Donald Trump and his surrounds and the party and anybody who's ever been around any kind of Russian ever at any time in their life. That's all going to be washed through the house for the next two years. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. So with that in mind, whilst we also have, ladies and gentlemen, the ongoing media spectacle that is the Mueller investigation, which funnily enough, this may uh, lend some credence to my theory here. Funnily enough, the Mueller investigation, just today we found out he's writing up his final report. What, what didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't you, who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it just a few days after the midterms? All right, I'm ready for the final report now. Of course, Democrats in the corporate media are not explaining this because they don't want this thing to die. (laughs) Why would they? And I'm giving you a completely unbiased opinion here. Why would Democrats want the Mueller investigation to end? It ends a very, you know, good opportunity for them to bash the Trump presidency repeatedly in the press. So if I'm a Democrat, I don't want the Mueller investigation to end. I want the Mueller investigation going for the next 30 fucking years. Don't you? Unless, of course, you think it's becoming unpopular in the public. But then buoyed by the recent results, by winning back the House in the suburban seats, where your more activist rhetoric and campaign strategy has indeed yielded some kind of net positive then maybe you don't want it to end. Maybe you think your strategy is working. Considering all of these things. So, it would make sense to me then that Jeff Sessions, a man who recused himself before he was even confirmed, right? If you go on if you go on YouTube and look at the Jeff Sessions confirmation hearings, he recused himself before he even had the job. Well, I think, you know, it would be appropriate for me Uh, to recuse myself from any investigations involving the 2016 elections. Right? Before he even got the job. So with that in mind, with Adam Schiff taking over control of the House, with the Democrats potentially buoyed by their campaign rhetoric indeed scoring some kind of net positive in terms of votes in the suburban seats that they needed to flip that the Republicans held since 2010, 2012, 2014, then it makes sense to me that uh, Jeff Sessions, if he continues on as AG, is A, not going to be able to wrap up the Mueller investigation succinctly enough for it to become a kind of full stop in the story, and B, is going to be completely powerless when Adam Schiff wants to interrogate, subpoena, and investigate every single thing to do with Russia, because he he can't, by his own words, I can't do anything about it. Now, what would be the net gain in keeping Jeff Sessions on in this position for the next two years with the Democrats running the Intelligence Committee, with Adam Schiff being the chair, with with the Mueller investigation ongoing, and the media circus that would no doubt follow it? I would put it to you humbly and respectfully that the advantage to the Trump administration in a scenario like that, which is indeed the scenario we find ourselves in, again, perception is reality, unfortunately, but it is, the advantage to Donald Trump would be a big fat zero. None at all. So considering that Donald Trump is an outcomes-driven guy, that he's very pragmatic, it would make total sense to me the day after the elections within 24 hours that he says, all right, Jeff, time's up. We've got to move to plan B. 
because we can't allow this circus to continue. And my friend, unfortunately, like it or lump it, in the eyes of the public and indeed the eyes of myself, you are not the man to weather this oncoming storm, unfortunately. Which would suggest to me that Jeff Sessions probably didn't want to leave considering that the very first line on his resignation letter was indeed, as per your request, instead of, I am writing to inform you, or something similar. Just the way I feel about it. Just the way it looks. And of course, again, if we're dealing in subjective truth, the post-truth era, the subjective reality world, whilst some people um, you know, may interpret the goings-on less than 24 hours after the midterm results as you know, some kind of plan or some kind of strategy. Perhaps it was a strategy that changed the day after the midterms. Perhaps it was a strategy that was in play for a long time. Or perhaps it wasn't. And again, like it or lump it, perhaps firing or at least asking for the resignation of your Attorney General a day after you lose the House, which will see Adam Schiff take over as head of the Intelligence Committee, well, I'm afraid, whether we like it or not, that can also be interpreted as some kind of panic. A panicked defensive move. And unfortunately, if it's true or not, is completely and utterly irrelevant because of the timing. It just gives, it's just like red meat to your opponents because they'll say, aha, this proves it. This proves, this proves collusion. This proves collusion. Why else would he fire Jeff Sessions less than 24 hours after? I know what he's trying to do. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you the lowdown, the view from the other side, if you want. Donald Trump fired Jeff Sessions less than 24 hours after the midterm results because he needs to end the Mueller investigation before it uncovers anything. Of course, it doesn't matter if the Mueller investigation is already writing its final report. He needs to stop Adam Schiff from probing deep into the Russia scandal. He's afraid now. He's lost the House. He loses the chairmanship of the Intelligence Committee. He got rid of Jeff Sessions because Jeff Sessions was a good man who we accused of being a neo-Nazi only two years ago. Jeff Sessions is a good man who does everything by the book and he needed to get a loyalist in there like the dictator that he is. <laughs> I mean, I can write you an article. It'd take me three minutes to write it if you want. But that's that's what happens. That's that's the unfortunately that's the zone we're operating in. But we'll get to Adam Schiff a little later on. What else has been happening? What else has happened this week? Um, anyone notice that the caravan's not getting spoken about very often? Anyone notice that? <laughs> The, 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 the first thing I've heard about the caravan in the last, uh, what, four or five days is when Jim Acosta was saying that it's wrong to call it an invasion. I was like, oh, yeah, the caravan, that thing. <laughs> Apparently, they didn't stop walking. It seems to me that they don't uh, respect the election. It's, it seems that they respect the electoral process of the United States even less than I thought. Because I thought, I was listening to Barack Obama, a man who would never, ever lie. Never, ever lie. He only ever tells the truth. I was listening to Barack Obama in one of his little campaign speeches with his, with his little friends and family audience there. And he was saying the day after the election, there's not going to be any caravan. That's all going to disappear. There is no caravan. It's imaginary. 
It's a it's a fear campaign. So I did a little bit of looking around. Apparently, they're still on the move. And I thought, wow, even the immigrants don't believe Obama. Even they don't do what he what they're told. What Barack tells them, isn't it incredible? So fascinating stuff. Jim Acosta. Oh, Jim. Oh, Jim. Jim, 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 Jim. What did you make of Jim Acosta's antics? I'm actually I'm actually very disappointed that Jim Acosta got his credentials revoked, removed. Not because I'm a terribly big fan of Jim Acosta, not because I think he does a particularly good job, but because I'm going to miss the material. I, I like seeing him get up there and make a fool of himself every day. Don't you? I love it. I'm, I'm going to miss that son of a bitch. I don't know about you. It's just, it's the the spectacle of the press uh, briefing is not going to be the same without Jim. <laughs> Where would we be without Jim demanding uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders declare him not to be an enemy of the people? Where would we be? My God. Imagine all the news people are going to miss out on. It's going to be horrible. All that news. People need their news. I kind of feel sorry for Jim. We'll get into Jim Acosta a little bit later on as well. Got some random stuff too. Angry women are being elected again. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll also get into your stuff. It's it's probably not going to be a marathon like it was last week. I'm not sure I've got the stamina this time out, but we'll definitely get to as much as possible. We'll get to your stuff as well. Got to go to bed. See, Ruth's already going to bed. I've only been on 10 minutes. People are already crashing out. That's That's the power. That's the power I wield. Can you change history? Nope. But I can put people to sleep very quickly. Very quickly indeed. Frank says maybe uh, Jim Acosta can find a late night gig. You reckon he might be a, a nice foil for Stephen Colbert? Wouldn't that be something? They'd have to rename the show. They'd have to call it All the Charisma of a Bucket of Shit with Stephen Colbert and Jim Acosta. Did anyone see the tweet that he tweeted out earlier, Jim Acosta? He said, don't believe the lies coming from the White House. Believe believe in our rights. And then he tweeted out a little American flag, <laughs> which I thought was a nice touch. Hashtag what a? Jim, Jim, if the First Amendment argument didn't work for Alex Jones when you were arguing for him to be deplatformed, I'm sorry, son, it's sure as shit not going to work for you when you just lose your White House credentials. You can still go on TV. You can still work at CNN. You can still be a reporter. Hell, we can buy you one. Of, you know those kids' microphones? You know those kid microphones that are made out of plastic? And they're not plugged into anything, but the kids sing into it. And it, and it amplifies. We can get him one of those. He can stand on the White House lawn with one of those. With a big Mattel written on the front of it. You know, my first microphone. He could become the spokesman. So I'm afraid, Jim, if it doesn't work for other people when they get deplatformed, then I'm sorry, son. It's not going to work for you either. Sorry. Sorry. You made the bed now. Lie in it. Lie in your lies, Jim. So we'll get to that. I saw that and asked him to apologize to that staffer. He's not going to apologize. Do not drink while Boogie Bumper tells you a good one. Okay. <laughs> we 
We'll get to Jim Acosta. We'll get to uh, plenty of other stuff as well. Um, just a little bit of housekeeping. I want to thank the people that have been downloading and listening to the podcast. It's very encouraging. It's really encouraging, actually, after only a few weeks um, that, you know, so many people already are downloading and listening to the podcast. I don't know why, but people seem to enjoy it. So thanks for that. Thanks for that. We'll all send him that link. Funny boogie. Well, please do. Please do. I'm a big fan of Jim, and I'm sure it's only a matter of time before he's a big fan of mine. So thanks, everyone, for joining in. Let's get a debate going. Please swipe and share if you feel the need. But first, let's kick it off the way we like to. Now you face the Shredder. Time for the shredder. See what we got this week. This was very good. The midterms, this is uh, the known right-wing conspiracy website. It's actually the known, it's now the known neo-Nazi website, The Guardian. I'll explain why. Quote, the midterms revealed the power of partisanship and whiteness. Isn't that interesting from The Guardian? The midterms revealed the power of partisanship and whiteness. The first thing I thought when I read that headline was isn't it isn't it amazing that you can talk about you can write a whole article about the power of whiteness but if you say white power <laughs> I, I guess you're not going to be printed in the guardian you can write a whole article about the power of whiteness but if you wanted to submit an article about white power you would not be you would not be printed <laughs> isn't that funny <laughs> I find that very curious. Very curious indeed. Democrats hoped for a huge rejection of Trumpism, but found two forces still hold an intoxicating political power. So not only is white power real, it's also intoxicating. Just letting you know. According to The Guardian, the known right-wing neo-Nazi website. The expectations we carry into elections always make it difficult to objectively assess their outcome. Before the midterms, Democrats hoped for a blue wave that would decisively hand them the House and perhaps more. Well, they didn't hope for a blue wave. They were certain of a blue wave. Now it's just hope. Now, have you noticed that? Six months ago, three months ago, six weeks ago, three weeks ago, the the blue wave is absolutely certain. The the blue wave is happening. There's nothing you can do about it. It, it, it. This blue wave is coming to sweep all of the Republicans into the gutter like San Francisco turds, ladies and gentlemen. Scott says, I'm drunk on my white power. Oh, that's nice. What does it taste like? I assume Russian vodka. I assume I assume white power tastes like vodka. Why? Where? What else would it taste like? Let's be honest. But now it's just like, oh, Democrats were hoping for a blue wave. Oh, okay. Okay. It's just a hope. Just a hope. While Donald Trump was poised to declare victory, whatever the outcome. <clears throat> Democrats hope for a blue wave while Donald Trump was poised to declare victory, whatever the outcome. Well, come on, let's be fair. After an election where nobody really wins and nobody really loses, I mean, in pure, in pure, like, you know, shallow terms, don't, you know, I'm not ignoring the nuance of the fact that Trump lost less seats than Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. I'm not ignoring the nuance of Trump increasing his position in the Senate. I'm not ignoring any of that. But if you just if you take a very shallow look, which I assume the Guardian might, I mean, come on, who can blame me, right? 
then, you know, here you have like one house win, one team wins a bit and doesn't win a lot. The other team wins a bit and doesn't win a lot. That's what they, that's what they all do. Everybody's going to try and claim a victory. Like what, what did we expect? Donald Trump's going to come out and say, well, it was terrible. (laughs) He shouldn't, he shouldn't be based on the things that I told you. And the fact that the Democrats won back the House, they're not going to come out and say, ah, it was terrible. They're going to be pretty happy that they've won back the House. They haven't had it for eight years. Of course they're going to be happy. They they didn't have it when Barack Obama was in power. They're happy to get back there. Nancy's been sitting on the edge of her seat for eight long years. Getting increasingly anxious with all of those twitches. Now that she's going to be speaker, I'm I'm over the moon. I'm overjoyed that Nancy Pelosi is going to be speaker again, aren't you? That woman, that woman is a content machine. Can't wait. Well, we will play a little bit of Nancy Pelosi later on. By the way, most importantly of all, the Democrats took control of the House. So the Guardian suggests that the House is the most important thing of all. That's very interesting. I would have thought the White House, but. Perhaps, perhaps I don't understand the language being used on this website because it is indeed a far-right neo-Nazi website with this article about white power. Sorry. They won the popular vote, and for the first time since 2008, independent voters who aren't affiliated with either party backed the Democrats, and by a sizable margin. Democrats also won important Senate and gubernatorial races in the states that will likely be key to beating Donald Trump in 2020, such as Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Democratic control of the House should finally see the legislative branch emerge as the check and balance on the executive which the Constitution intends it to be. I was actually, there was a, I was having a fun Twitter exchange with somebody. And, you know, somebody was like, fin- finally, finally, the check and balance on the unruly power of Donald Trump. The house is back in the hands of patriots. You know, you know the way people talk. The house is back in the hands of patriots, and we finally have uh, checks and balances on the unruly, power-mad Donald Trump. And of course, I replied right back to which I re- to which I got no reply, which is kind of rude. I mean, if I reply to you, you should reply back. Come on, man. But I didn't get any reply. And when I replied back to this young chap, yes. And, uh, you know, those checks will go to the Senate where they will be summarily dismissed as nonsense. And then we have a balance. Isn't it nice? It was like, meh, meh, meh. <laughs> I look forward to all of those checks going to the Senate to be balanced by the non-unhinged. Time will tell. The Trump administration will no longer get a free ride from congressional Republicans who had no interest in shining light on its abuses of power. Key committees will also pass into Democratic control. The House Intelligence Committee, which Republicans have used to harass law enforcement officials investigating Trump and his associates. Were you aware of that? The, uh, the investigation into Peter Strzok, that was, that was, that was abusive harassment. <laughs> of course, uh, the questions being leveled at Brett Kavanaugh. Wow, that was, that was just a check and a balance, that was. That was a review, the House of Review. That the Democrats have not won an even larger share of seats in Congress is largely due to gerrymandering, which gives Republicans a built-in advantage in the House. To be fair, 
everybody gerrymanders. <clears throat> I mean, if you look at Pennsylvania, where uh, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania redistricted and it was a big controversy up there. And I'm not sure how the mix ended up for the Republicans, but they lost a few in Pennsylvania due to that redistricting. I mean, you had two incumbents running against each other, Connor Lamb and I forget the Republican's name. And, you know, the, the previous Republican was, you know, in a, in a safe Republican seat. And he, I think he lost the vote by like tw- 10 or 20 points in the end, something like that. So, you know, I, I'm just, I'm too old for the, oh, one side is doing the thing that everybody does. And it's bad because it's happening to us. It's like, eh. Let's just assume that everybody gerrymanders when they get a chance and then everybody can be better off. You know, we'll just deal with it. It's fine. Florida overturned a Jim Crow era voting ban affecting 1.4 million felons, including nearly 25% of the state's African-American adults. The greatest expansion of voting rights since the civil rights era. Meanwhile, Key state-level wins will give Democrats a chance to redraw districts and undo gerrymandering. Ah, <laughs> don't you see? Don't you see? <laughs> when the Republicans redraw districts, that's gerrymandering. When the Democrats redraw districts, they're undoing gerrymandering. <laughs> no, no, no. When the when the when the Democrats gerrymander, they're doing it to undo the sins of the Republican. Now we're making it better. Now we're putting it back the way it should be. <laughs> Yet, <laughs> Yet. The elections were not the stunning repudiation of Trump and the Republican Party that many liberals, profoundly disturbed by the nation's trajectory, had hoped for. A party that has ripped children from their parents at the border and put them in cages, just the one, just the one party, has stolen a majority on the Supreme Court. Stolen. They stole the majority. Like a bunch of frat boys at a kegger. They broke in and stole the Supreme Court, like stealing like stealing your rival college's mascot, you know, the night before a big game. That's what they did. They Brett Kavanaugh and his drunken frat boy mates grabbing chicks on the ass as they march on down the road, chugging back a brewski. Disgusting behaviour. But yeah, the Republicans stole a majority on the Supreme Court. Stolen, Stolen majorities, ladies and gentlemen. And has looked the other way as nepotism, authoritarianism and chaos have taken up residence in the White House hardly suffered a catastrophic night. It, it avoided a complete rout in the House, made gains in the Senate, and won important governorships in Ohio and Florida. It managed to do this down to two factors that continue to deliver votes into the Republican column. The first is the power of partisanship, you see, because only the Republicans are, are partisan. Only the Republicans play partisan politics. I mean, we know this for a fact. Nancy Pelosi came out in her speech on election night and said, oh, we, we're going to be friends now. We're going to be bipartisan, which I found extremely interesting because it's like, oh, okay, so for two years, the guy, <clears throat> for two years, the president has been a Nazi and now you want to work together? It's like, you're a terrible communist if you want to work with Nazis. Like, isn't that obvious? 
I don't think Nancy Pelosi is a, a communist at all anymore. I don't. I don't think she's a left. I don't think she's even a lefty. By the fact that she wants to make deals with a guy that she thinks is a Nazi, one can only conclude that she herself is indeed a Nazi. Heil Nancy. Nancy the Nazi. Nazi Pelosi. The first is the power of partisanship, and the second is the power of whiteness. I got the power! See what I mean? You can do a whole article about the power of whiteness, but you can't do an article about white power. Doesn't it? Doesn't that seem like what's wrong with this picture? According to an exit poll by CNN, fully 94% of Republicans voted for Republican House candidates. Meanwhile, whites without white voters went for Trump by a 10% margin. Among older whites and whites without a college degree, and then it's in brackets here, you're going to love this, often a proxy for conservative racial attitudes. Ah. So not only. <laughs> not, not only do the uh, other, not only do the quote unquote uneducated white people vote for Donald Trump, but the fact that they are indeed uneducated white people makes them racist. <laughs> I don't understand. People that don't go to Berkeley turn out to be Nazi. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? People who don't attend liberal arts colleges have different racial attitudes than we do. <laughs> what a what a fucking miracle. <laughs> yep. Yep, 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 yep. Maybe they don't believe in things like white privilege or something. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You see, the, edu- the educated white people uh, that hate Donald Trump because he is a Nazi and they are consumed and surrounded and engulfed by their own sense of white privilege daily and guilt for being white privileged. They have very progressive racial attitudes. The uneducated whites, not so much. Not so much. They might be a little too normal. Who's to say? Donald loves the uneducated. That's true. That's, I'm glad that you point that out, DK, because once upon a time, the left used to love the uneducated as well. You know how they want free school for everyone? Not, not anymore. <laughs> They're like, free education. Everybody deserves an education. And then five seconds later, they'll turn around and laugh that Donald Trump loves the uneducated. Make up your mind, comrade. We love the uneducated. We think everybody deserves an education. Donald Trump loves the uneducated. Ha <laughs> ha, the idiot. <laughs> I tell you, trolls, they don't make them like they used to. These figures show that thorough rejection of Trumpism that the Democrats have been hoping for and which might convince his party to change course have not arrived and it is not likely to arrive soon. Trump's coalition has eroded somewhat, but what it will be clear to both the president and party strategists that Republican partisanship and white identity politics are still intoxicating political forces. Oh, no. Oh, dear. So I guess the, my first question here is because The Guardian is lamenting the fact that white identity politics are intoxicating political forces. So I guess what are we... So we're against identity politics now? It's good to hear. It's good news. I'm very happy about that. Aren't you? Ladies and gentlemen, The Guardian. They don't like identity politics anymore. We should give them a round of applause. This one should go up on the fridge. 
It's, it's fantastic news, don't you think? Say, say he just goes on to the next point. Donald said he deferred five times from active duty. So it's just we just move on from the uneducated one. It's like, oh, shit. Do I love the uneducated? Do I hate the uneducated? I think I hate the uneducated because they vote for Donald Trump. But then again, if I love them, then I want them to get free school, which then they become educated and then they'll no longer vote for Donald Trump. That's a tricky one. Donald deferred five times from active duty. <sighs> That'll show him. That'll show this idiot broadcaster who's boss. <laughs> Stick around. Thanks for joining us, Dave. It's good to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, the white supremacist publication of The Guardian is now against identity politics, despite the fact that they spend an entire article talking about the power of whiteness. Now that was. Face the Shredder. <laughs> Just to, we'll stick with the theme of identity politics and the power of whiteness and how it's wrong for white people to vote for one particular party because they're partisan and racist. Uh, I got this one. Hispanics, blacks, Jews and gays and other minorities should vote against Trump's candidates. Ah, yes. Damn. That, that hatred of identity politics was really short-lived, wasn't it? <laughs> Unfortunately. Damn, I, th I thought it had a chance. This, I thought it was going to last. Damn it. So close. Obviously, millions of Americans are not going to vote Democratic on Tuesday. However, there are at least five reasons why Hispanics, Blacks, Jews, gays, and other minorities... See, isn't that kind of racist? Hispanics, Blacks, J, uh, Jews, gays, and other minorities... So what, Asians are just other now? Indians, they're just in the other column? It's not very progressive. I mean, what about people from the subcontinent? What about Muslims? What about Russians? Are they just in the others column now? I think that's terrible. This is this is terribly, uh, you know, to just dismiss the existence of so many minorities, just like that, like they don't even exist. Ah, oh, the others. Yeah, it's just the others. Who cares? This this so-called progressive paper. I'm actually offended reading it. I mean, if you if you if you can't even bother to type out the various minorities that should vote against Donald Trump because he's racist, then I'm afraid, you know, what the hell am I listening to you for? You must be racist too, comrade. More racist than I am, anyway. If you're going to list the minorities, at least list them. Don't put them in other. Incredibly offensive. Plus women. Oh, plus women. Other minorities, plus women. That's good. Should vote against Republican candidates in the midterm elections especially those of us who have voted for both Democratic and Republican candidates in the past, yes. First, this country needs to balance President Trump's near-absolute powers with opposition Congress. I love the fact that uh, President Trump is viewed as a dictator, yet we are talking about elections. <laughs> he's a dictator that has elections. He's, he's got to be the most lovable, uh, open dictator of all time at that point. Like, yeah, I'm a dictator, but you can vote me out if you want. Like, wow. If only Pol Pot had a, had this attitude to dictatorships, then perhaps the massacres 
in in <laughs> in various third world countries wouldn't have taken place. If only Adolf Hitler had have allowed himself to be voted out, comrades, the whole World War II crisis, the tragedy could have been averted. But it wasn't to be. Trump controls the House, the Senate, and the Supreme Court. I'm not sure Trump controls the Supreme Court. Doesn't that kind of go against what the purpose of the Supreme Court is? Just, just putting it out there. Just putting that out there. He wants to intimidate independent media into becoming Fox News like government propaganda outlets. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep, yep. He's trying to intimidate independent media into becoming Fox News. That's that's what he's doing. I I knew it. I knew it. When he turns to Jim Acosta or CNN more broadly or MSNBC or just calls people fake news. What looks like uh, dismissing and you know having an issue with the way they report his presidency is actually a subconscious ploy to turn them all into Tucker Carlson. <laughs> so they too can get harassed at their homestead. Well, their families anyway, their wives and children. Not them. We'll leave them alone. We just want to go after the wives and kids because we're reasonable like that. Second, in his effort to court votes from mostly white males who feel threatened by racial diversity. <laughs> I would have I would have thought the whole point of being a quote unquote white supremacist is that you don't feel threatened by other races because but in the inherent in the term supremacy is that you are above them in your mind, right? You put yourself above the other races on the racial totem pole. So why would you feel threatened by people who are inferior? That doesn't make any sense. All of those white supremacists, they're threatened and afraid. What? <laughs> I mean, I know I probably shouldn't apply logic to these things, but it, damn, it's, it's difficult to get out of that habit, isn't it? Isn't it? Trump goes out of his way to demonize immigrants and people of color. By doing so, he has created a climate of racial animosity, racial animosity, that has resulted in a, meti- a meteoric rise in hate crimes against blacks, Jews, gays, Hispanics. They didn't put other in this this time. They didn't talk about other, which has risen to record highs this year, according to a recent study by the NAACP. Let's go down to the last paragraph here. This is very good. I enjoyed this thoroughly. With luck, an opposition victory on Tuesday could convince Trump that his anti-immigration demagoguery didn't work and would f- would force him to move closer to the center. Conversely, a Trump win on election day would convince him that his hate-mongering strategy was a success and move America closer to becoming a white nationalist autocracy. Yes. <laughs> if only if only five uh, house votes had have gone the other way, then Donald Trump would be now leaning back in his personal Reichstag, once known as the White House, hands on the back of his head, enjoying perhaps a quarter pounder or a diet coke, thinking to himself, "We d- we did it, mein Herr. We d- we did it." Now, finally, America can be a white supremacist nation once again. This vote, this vote is a mandate. (laughs) Yes, of course he did. 
That was that was what he was going for all along. Fantastic stuff. There's a lot more that I could probably say about it, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think I have that right. So I'm going to let this guy do it for me. I'm sick of this race and divide. It's always divide and conquer. It's a scam. And I know it's not going to get on CNN. Lucky enough, but I've been out here making sure that I express my support for Mr. Donald J. Trump. And I'm fighting back against people like um, Black Lives Matter, which CNN supports. With the loan with the Hillary Clinton Foundation and the Bill Clinton Foundation, the traitors to this country. Uh, what do you think about <laughs> the fact that uh, white supremacists support Trump? It doesn't matter. That's the right to free speech. I'm sick of this race and divide. And CNN is perfect at doing that. It's always divide and conquer. People have the right to choose whatever they want. What the hell does that got to do with Donald Trump? He's not a racist. I'm sick of that. It's a scam. And I know it's not going to get on CNN. We're sick of you media. What do, you, what do you think about what he just said to you? That's maybe not a fair question to ask, and you're just trying to associate Trump with racism. Uh, <laughs> I mean, is that a fair question to ask? Are you, are you saying that Trump is racist because some racist guy supports him? I'm just here doing my job. Okay, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing my job. At least answer it. Yes, because, yeah, Trump is not a racist... So someone asked the CNN reporter, do you think it's uh, a fair question saying that Donald Trump is a racist because racists support him? And he looks all awkward at the camera. He goes, I'm just doing my job. Well, I've got news for you, young CNN reporter. The I'm just doing my job line, it didn't work for the Nazis either. Sorry. Sorry. You know, the guys who are in charge of the death camps, when they got caught out, they said, hey, I'm just doing my job. You know what happened to them? Didn't turn out too well. Apparently, apparently, from that point on, we knew that whenever you're doing your job and it is obvious that someone is asking you to do a particularly bad job, then it is on you, morally, to not go through with doing that job, comrade. Unfortunately. Fortunately for you. But, them's the breaks. Identity politics. We love it, we hate it, we can't decide. We are the corporate media. Thought this was interesting. Booker. Trump fired Sessions because he's afraid of what Mueller is finding. Ah, oh, dun, dun, dun. So apparently, Cory Booker not only has access to the Robert Mueller investigation's intimate findings, which he's not supposed to have access to because that would be evidence of leaking, but he also has access to Donald Trump's innermost emotions, fears, and loves. Cory Booker, he might not be Spartacus, but he may indeed be some kind of mind reader. I think. He might be God. He might be God. He knows what there is to know. He knows what, what, what Donald Trump, what fears are brewing inside Donald Trump. And he can be in both places at the same time. He is omnipotent. Cory Booker. He's afraid of what Mueller is finding. Okay, what's Mueller finding? I don't know. So how do you know he's afraid of it? 
Shut up, racist. Senator Cory Booker expressed concern on Wednesday over President Trump's decision to fire Attorney General Jeff Sessions, warning that, quote, it brings us one step closer to a constitutional crisis. Just what Spartacus wants. I'm concerned that President Trump made this decision based on fear. It's all, it's all a fear campaign. Not only does Donald Trump use fear, he's also afraid at the same time. He made this decision based on fear of being implicated by special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election and frustration with Sessions' recusal from that investigation, Booker said in a statement. So he definitely doesn't want Booker. He does. He definitely doesn't want Jeff Sessions to go. I think this is the takeaway here. And he's not alone. I mean, Cory Booker, the corporate media. I was reading a Vox article earlier earlier today. Vox was like, "We should be very afraid that Jeff Sessions is leaving the White House. He's leaving the administration. We should be more angry about this." So nobody wants uh, Jeff Sessions to leave. I guess he's a really nice guy, Jeff Sessions. A real knock around, personable, likable chap is Jeff Sessions, I think. So why would we want him to go? It's the media who... Well, I guess we don't want him to go, but Cory Booker will tell you himself, he didn't want Jeff Sessions to be there in the first place. Remember this? If confirmed, Senator Sessions will be required to pursue justice for women, but his record indicates that he won't. He will be expected to defend the equal rights of gay and lesbian and transgender Americans, but his record indicates that he won't. He will be expected uh-huh. to defend voting rights, but his record indicates that he won't. He will be expected to defend the rights of immigrants and affirm their human dignity, but the record indicates that he won't. His record indicates that as attorney general, he would object to the growing national bipartisan movement towards criminal justice reform. Ah. Uh. His record in. Uh, by the way, uh, this was a highly unusual step for Cory Booker. You know how the accusation is that Donald Trump is destroying democratic norms? Well, this was not a question that Cory Booker was asking Jeff Sessions. Cory Booker actually testified against Jeff Sessions in his confirmation hearing. Which, uh, you know, even, even the most uh, rusted on Democrat supporter admitted wow, this is highly unusual behavior. Like, no one really does this. They didn't go so far as to suggest that they were flouting, you know, democratic norms, mind you. I mean, Spartacus can do whatever the hell he likes, right? <laughs> Indicates that we cannot He's count a rule on breaker. to support state and national efforts towards bringing justice to the justice system. And people on both sides of the aisle who readily admit that the justice system as it stands now is biased. He's talking about Jeff Sessions, the by the way. The guy he doesn't want to leave. Against mentally ill and against people of color. His record indicates that a time that even the FBI director is even speaking out FBI against implicit director. racial bias in policing and the urgent need to address it at a time when the last two attorney generals have taken steps to fix our broken criminal justice system. Mm. At a time when the Justice Department, he would, led, he would lead, has uncovered systemic abuse... Just a reminder, he's talking about Jeff Sessions, the guy that he doesn't want to uh, leave the White House. He doesn't want Jeff Sessions to be fired. Jeff Sessions getting fired would bring us one step closer to a constitutional crisis. 
The only remember the only reason that Donald Trump is firing Jeff Sessions is because he's afraid of what Robert Mueller might find. That's the only reason that he's getting rid of Jeff Sessions. He's not getting rid of Jeff Sessions because he hates gay people. He's not getting rid of Jeff Sessions because he stands against racial justice, like Corey is explaining here just two years ago. He's not getting rid of Jeff Sessions because he hates women, like Corey is explaining here two years ago. He's not getting rid of Jeff Sessions because he ignores the implicit bias in in racial bias in policing, like Cory Booker is explaining here two years ago. It's none of those reasons. The only reason that Donald Trump is getting rid of Jeff Sessions now is because he's afraid of Robert Mueller. I want to hear more about Jeff Sessions from Cory Booker, the man that does not want Jeff Sessions to be fired. ...in police departments all over the United States, including Ferguson, including Newark. Yeah. Senator Sessions would not continue to lead this urgently needed change. Uh, The next attorney general must bring hope uh, and healing uh, to this country. uh, (laughs) The next attorney general must bring hope and healing to this country. Say hello to Matthew Whitaker, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! (laughs) Matthew Whitaker, the guy who wrote an op-ed piece saying that he would indict Hillary Clinton. Matthew Whitaker, the guy... (laughs) The guy who said that the Robert Mueller investigation has gone too far and needs to stop. Matthew Whitaker, ladies and gentlemen. The guy, the next the next AG who's going to bring hope and healing to a distraught country. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it wonderful just how the universe reaches out sometimes and gives you a nice big old hug? Oh, Matthew. Matthew, your next AG. Matthew Whitaker, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely sensational. Sensational stuff. Don't you just love it? Thanks for that, Corey. Thanks for explaining why Jeff Sessions should not have been hired. And thanks for explaining today, just two years later, why he is being fired. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It's just because Donald Trump is afraid. Absolutely wonderful. By the way, speaking speaking of Matthew Whitaker, here he is. <laughs> Matthew Whitaker's first act as acting Attorney General is to argue Trump has the right to limit asylum, bringing hope and joy, hope and change. Ben K. Veritas, thanks for joining us. Matthew Matthew Whitaker's first publicised act as Attorney General, acting Attorney General, was to issue a new rule Thursday denying asylum to migrants who enter the country illegally through the southern United States-Mexico border. So they are kind of saying that, uh, you know, the term illegal immigrant, they didn't use undocumented migrant, unfortunately. It's very racist of them. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming in. Whitaker was appointed to the role on Wednesday by Donald Trump after the president asked then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions for his resignation. Whitaker previously acted as Sessions' chief of staff and has attracted scrutiny after making public his views that the special counsel into Russian interference, how dare he make his views public? Special counsel investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election and possible collusion with the Trump campaign should be limited. Multiple legal scholars have argued that Whitaker's appointment is unconstitutional. Yes, but those legal scholars are wrong. (laughs) Because he's there. (laughs) Why don't you take it to court? 
you're a legal scholar. I'm sure you can figure out how to launch a court case to say that it's unconstitutional. Shouldn't be that hard for the legal scholars. I await your summons. The new asylum rule is dated November 6th, the day of the midterm elections, and then the day for session resignation, and includes a line for session signature. It is left blank. As a hardliner on immigration who issued the administration's controversial zero-tolerance immigration ruling earlier this year, there is no suggestion that Sessions would not have signed off on the ruling. Sessions Replacement and Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen issued a statement about the ruling. According to the rule, the restrictions will not go into effect until Trump issues an official proclamation. Consist, quote, consistent with our immigration laws, the president has the broad authority to suspend or restrict the entry of aliens into the United States if he determines it to be in the national interest to do so. It read, today's rule applies this important principle to aliens who violate such a suspension or restriction regarding the southern border imposed by the president by invoking an express authority provided by Congress to restrict eligibility for asylum. There you go. Matthew Whitaker, bringing hope, bringing hope to a broken nation. Absolutely sensational stuff for Matthew. Big appointment for Matty. I hope he brings hope and change to everybody. Everybody who needs it. Everybody who needs to know about the hope and the change. Coming from Matthew Whitaker, the next AG. Who obviously isn't, he obviously isn't afraid enough. He should be more afraid. If not of, uh, you know, racial injustice, he should be, at least be afraid of Spartacus because Spartacus was a pretty cool cat back in the day. I've got this one for you. Change gears a little bit. Adam Schiff had a, a word or two to say about the threats from Donald Trump and the new AG. Let's take a little look with Jake Tapper. No plans to recuse himself. That's what a source close to the new acting attorney general, Matthew Whitaker, tells CNN, despite the fact that Whitaker has been something of a frequent critic of special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia mm. investigation, mm. previously questioning the, the scope and reach of the investigation, calling Mueller's appointment ridiculous and fishy. Yeah. Whitaker has even defended Donald Trump Jr.'s decision How could he? to seek dirt on Hillary Clinton wow. from Russians once it was offered, <laughs> an act that even Steve Bannon said he regarded as treasonous. Mm. Whitaker sent, spent some of wow. his first day on the job at the side of the president. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that right. Jake Tapper on CNN is now literally saying Steve, ba like he's pointing out Steve Bannon. What? Listen to Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon is correct. Indeed, the exact same Steve Bannon that Jake Tapper on CNN less than three years ago was declaring to be a white nationalist that shouldn't be listened to. Don't listen to Steve Bannon. He's a white nationalist who also says that Donald Trump Jr. is treasonous. Well, this is quite the conundrum. Do we listen to Steve or don't we listen to Steve? Can a white nationalist say things that are correct? No, everything a white nationalist says is wrong because they're a white nationalist. This is identity politics. So a white nationalist says statement that I like. If I like that, am I now agreeing with the white nationalists? If I agree with something a white nationalist says, does that make me, Jake Tapper, a white nationalist? Am I promoting white nationalism now? I mean, white nationalists, they like Donald Trump. This proves that Donald Trump is sympathetic to white nationalists. If I like something that a white nationalist like Steve Bannon says, does that prove I'm sympathetic to white nationalists? Wow. 
you know what? I, I just think I need more cultural training. I think I need more cultural understanding education on the matter. I'm not sure which way to fall on this one. But damn it, this week, Steve Bannon, great guy. <laughs> we love him this week. Last week, white nationalists, don't listen to him. Sam, thanks for joining us. President and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who was previously in charge of Mueller's probe. CNN Justice Correspondent Jessica Schneider joins me now. Jessica, do we know if lawmakers could actually force Whitaker to recuse himself? They could try, Jake, but ultimately this is a question for ethics advisors at ah. the Justice Department. And really, even if those advisors suggested that Whitaker step aside, he is not obligated to follow their advice, especially... <laughs> <laughs> we just read the article we just read the article law experts say that his appointment is unconstitutional now we're on cnn well not really <laughs> it's unconstitutional in this article but now we agree with white nationalists on cnn so it's all good it's all gravy baby James, Since his questionable us. comments are more of a conflict of interest than a legal conflict. And tonight, there are ample indications that Whitaker has no plans to step aside. Ah. In his first full day as acting attorney general, Matthew Whitaker went to the White House amid demands from Democrats that he... <laughs> Do you know what I love most about those kinds of shots? Somebody sat out the front of the White House all day for that two seconds of footage. And then it was such it was such it was so poorly shot that they had to actually black out the rest of the screen and put a little circle around him walking in. <laughs> someone someone gets paid like eighty grand a year to do that. It's insane. What are you doing today? Oh, I'm 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 scoping out the front of the White House. Oh, good. Make sure you get a good shot. Yeah, he's behind a fence, but it's good enough. If if we make it obvious, people will see that he walked in there. Ah, okay. Money well spent. No wonder CNN's going broke, huh? He recuse himself from overseeing the Russia probe. But Whitaker has given no indication he believes he needs to recuse himself, according to a source. Ah. That philosophy is echoed by White House officials, whose sources say also don't believe Whitaker needs to step aside. And the Washington Post reported that people close to Whitaker don't believe he would approve Mueller seeking a subpoena for President Trump. My understanding of the scope is that it is limited. The news is no real surprise, since Whitaker spent several months in 2017 making the rounds in the media, picking apart the special counsel's case. There is no criminal obstruction of justice charge to be had here. There's just the, the evidence is, is weak. Hasn't he got a great voice? People appreciated the uh, the Jeff Sessions impersonation earlier on. Well, uh, I must recuse myself. I, I feel it was is in ethical and it was within my duty to recuse myself. I will not take part in any further investigations. But this guy, this guy's like, there is no, it's like Darth Vader. There is no criminal. There is no criminal obstruction of justice charge to be had here. There's just weak. The evidence is weak. Can't wait. Whitaker was working incredible. as a legal commentator for CNN when he defended that Trump Tower meeting in June 2016, where Donald Trump Jr. and others met with a Russian lawyer who promised dirt on Hillary Clinton. And did not deliver. 
this is this is evidence I think of you just can't trust Russians. Like just like the Russians. The Russians say that they're gonna bring dirt with evidence of Hillary Clinton. You know, they're gonna bring dirt to the meeting and they don't bring dirt. This is why you should never trust a Russian. On this, I am one hundred percent behind Adam Schiff. I agree with Adam Schiff entirely. You cannot trust the Russians. The Russians tell you that they're bringing juice and they show up with nothing. Bubkus, Zippo, Bagel, Duck Egg. But you cannot trust the Russians. By the way, anybody who has had a vodka any time of their, in their life in Washington, D.C., you should expect a subpoena from Adam Schiff any time now. Well, give it a couple of months. Give it a couple of months. I'm sure he's got them all lined up, ready to go. Actually, I was, I was reading a great article the other day. I think it was on Slate. I tweeted it out. I can't remember. But I was on Slate. And yeah, I, I, I know your position, Sam. Sam is saying, CNN isn't left-wing news. It's a cartoon. This is a very real issue. Well, I'm afraid, you know, millions of your comrades watch this. So I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't exist because you, you, you know better. Right? So, and don't tell me what I'm basically saying either. So, the Russian lawyer goes to the Trump meeting, has no dirt, there is no dirt, she's hired by Fusion GPS. You're basically, look, you're basically saying you want a Democratic president to block charges into any party members. When did I say that? <laughs> I'm saying do whatever the hell you like, but... The reality is it's not about what I want and don't want. It's not about, you know, someone can accuse me of being immoral and I can accuse someone else of being immoral. I just I just give you the raw politics of it. And Donald Trump, if he has the ability to end the Russia investigation, if he has the ability to Adam Schiff, like to block Adam Schiff from doing whatever the hell it is that he wants to do, he's probably going to do it. And same on the other side. If Adam Schiff has the ability to turn the Russia thing into a media spectacle in order to bash Donald Trump over the head with it, he's probably going to do it. So, you know, now, you, now we need to be morally principled. Like, it's not up to me. I'm just telling you the reality of it. Like, do you want, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to call up Donald Trump and say, by the way, uh, you better go and talk to Adam Schiff. He has some very real issues, some very real questions. So, you know. You, you better do what he wants, man, or it's going to be a bad look. Like, none of that is relevant. The The politics game is about raw power, and you know it as well as I do. And, you know, you can't just pretend that it doesn't it doesn't exist when it's convenient to do so. I don't, I don't get on here and say that, uh, you know, Democrats are, you know, morally right. I don't get on here and say Republicans are morally righteous. I don't pretend that there are goodies and baddies. As you know, at the start of many periscopes, I've said from the beginning, let's just assume that everyone in politics is going to take an advantage wherever possible all the time. And once we understand that, then we'll all be a little less emotional about it and just deal with the reality as it is. So sometimes it breaks your way and sometimes it doesn't, comrade. And maybe on this occasion, it's not going to, but them's the breaks. I'm sure it's only going to be a matter of time, like it was when Merrill Lynch was Attorney General and she refused to recuse herself, despite all of the people asking her to recuse herself, and she basically gave them the middle finger, right? No, fuck you, I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm not recusing myself. I don't care what conservatives say. Well, it was all gravy then. And, you know, you know, Democrat supporters and liberal trolls like to throw around this line, well, you did it to us, so we're going to do it to you. Well, what do you think the, the conservatives and the MAGA people are saying right now? 
Remember the using the IRS to target Christian and libertarian groups. You did it to us. We're going to do it to you. Oh, you can't block off our union funding. You, you can't go, go after the NGOs and cut off the funding. Why not? Of course they can. If they have the power to do it, they're sure as shit going to do it. And if they don't do it, their supporters are going to be pretty pissed. So, you know, it's just the way it rolls. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Shit happens. To suggest that there's a conspiracy here, I mean, you would always you're upset take because that you're name. not legal. And on CNN.com <laughs> in August 2017, Whitaker warned that Mueller's investigation into the president's personal and business finances has come up to a red line that he is dangerously close to crossing. And if Mueller didn't limit his probe, it would raise serious concerns that the special counsel's investigation was a mere witch hunt. Whitaker also seemed to foreshadow what he might do now that he's acting attorney general. Well, I can see a scenario where Jeff Sessions is replaced uh, with a recess appointment, and that attorney general doesn't fire Bob Mueller, but he just reduces the budget so low that his, <laughs> his investigation grinds to a, almost a halt. He even put forward, a, he even put forward you know, maybe a theory about what he's going to do now that he's attorney general. This, see, this is the thing I love. They, they haven't mentioned at all once, at all, any legal acumen that this guy has. The perception that's trying to be invented here is that this guy is just a guy and his opinions on the Mueller probe and the Clinton Foundation, well, they're just, they're no, they're no different to the opinions that you might get from a guy in a bar. This guy has no legal expertise whatsoever, right? And if he were to, uh, you know, end the Mueller probe, they're saying he, he'll do it just because he's a Trump guy. Like, he won't provide any reasoning. He won't provide any argument. Of course he will. The great tragedy is now that we live in the post-truth era where perception is reality, any legal argument he gives won't matter a jot to Democrats because they're going to ignore it anyway. There is no possible legal answer that you could have for ending the Mueller probe in their mind. There is no possible legal answer you could have for indicting Hillary Clinton in their mind. That won't even be entertained. And he could have, he could write a 10,000 page thesis with citations and precedents and the whole lot. And he could slap that down on Adam Schiff's desk. Here you go, Adam. Go through that. And you know as well as I do, Sam and others, that <clears throat> what's Adam Schiff going to do? He probably won't even read it. He'll go out that day and talk to CNN or MSNBC and say, the new Attorney General Matthew Whitaker is only ending the Mueller probe because Donald Trump is afraid of the Russian investigation. And then we move on to the next talking point. So I fail to see why I should even feign sympathy or feign concern because I know that it's happened the other way too. It's, it's just, the way it, just the way it works. It is all a shit show. It is all ridiculous. But unfortunately, I can't do anything about it. So I just put my feet up, take a sip of my favorite beverage, and watch this man mountain, this beefcake, tear the Democrat hopes and dreams to utter shreds. Whitaker spent years on the political circuit. I'm not sure what we are passing on to the next generation. He lost his bid for the Republican nomination for a U.S. Senate seat in 2014 and state treasurer in 2002. President George W. Bush named him U.S. attorney in Iowa in 2004, where he served for five years. 
Whitaker later joined the advisory board and was first paid in October 2014 for a company that has since been shut down oh. and slapped with a $26 million fine oh. by <laughs> He once worked for a company that has since been shut down and it was slapped with a $26 million fine. He's evil! He's evil! James Comey was an advisor for HSBC, which had to pay millions and millions and millions of dollars in fines for money laundering and fraud. He got to the he got to be the head of the FBI. I don't see why I should care if this guy becomes Attorney General. I mean, if that's the standard, I didn't create the standard. James Comey, great guy, hell of a guy. He's he's an honest man. He's a real patriot. Damn it. He's a real patriot who got to the top of the FBI from hard work and being by the book and being ethical, damn it. Who cares if once upon a time he worked for HSBC who got done for money laundering and fraud to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars? That doesn't matter. The, matter, the, the thing that matters is he cares. This guy, well, he worked for a company that later shut down after he, after he worked there. After he was there, <laughs> it was later shut down and then fined for $26 million. Oh, he's the devil. Let's see. The, see, the, here's, I think here's the fundamental problem. And this is probably true for people on both sides. And, you know, this is, I'm going to be really fair here and objective. The problem is that there is so much shit floating on the surface of both sides that merely pointing to one side and saying, oh, well, look at all the shit over here. Like, the, the, the shit has bubbled up so much on both sides of politics now that you can't, the, the, the game of saying, well, you can't do this because of this guy's history, it is just completely and utterly null and void. Because why? Because everybody's got shit on their own side. And so now everybody understands that they've got shit on their own side, and so now nobody cares. Nobody cares. There is shit floating on both sides of the political aisle. So when somebody points to like a guy like Whitaker and says, he can't get the job because he worked for a company and 26 million, then I just say, well, fuck it. Because James Comey, like nobody cared about him. So why should I care? And that's what everyone's doing now. Democrats have done it for a long time. They don't care about, you know, the shit on their own side. That's fine. That's fine by me. If those are the rules, then I'm sweet. I'm down with that. Why do you care, Aussie? Well, unfortunately, my friend, what is it, Dabba's Rock? Unfortunately, my friend, if you are going to make yourselves the most powerful country in the world, then by, you know, by extension, you should expect other people around the world, as you are the most powerful country in the world, to sometimes, you know, sneak a prying eye into your goings-on and perhaps from time to time give a fuck. Because obviously, what happens in the most powerful country on earth inherently infects the rest of us unfortunately. So if you don't like it, my friend, I suggest next time don't become a superpower. You know, next time don't be a superpower. Sorry, you didn't have to win World War II. If this bothers you, you know, maybe start another world war or something. I'm not sure. And lose. Then everyone will be happy. But for now... For now, I think I'll stick around. ...self as helping investors secure patents, and Whitaker was hands-on. 
It's a unique design that's going to help. Showcasing a hot tub invention in this post from the company. <laughs> but when a customer complained to the company, court documents show... Hot tub. Does anybody remember that um, that movie Hot Tub Time Machine? Do you know that, that conspiracy theory that gets floated around that Donald Trump is a time traveler? <gasps> My God. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Are you hearing what I'm hearing? Donald Trump is a time traveler. This guy invented a, t- a hot tub. Oh, shit. The hot tub time machine was not a bromantic comedy filled with dick and fart jokes, ladies and gentlemen. And TNA, it was a documentary. <gasps> Whitaker lashed out, accusing Thanks, them of Mike. an apparent attempt at possible blackmail or extortion and warning there could be serious civil and criminal consequences if the customer smeared the company online or filed a complaint with the Better Business Bureau. And Whitaker's, Whitaker's uh, work with this now shut down company, it could really add more fuel to Democrats' anger about his appointment. Of course, right now, Democrats are calling for emergency hearings about this, and they're telling the Justice Department to preserve all... Just want to address a comment in the chat. Uh, Sessions knows Dems are going to go after Donald. If you did miss the start, I, I talked about the Sessions thing at length. And to put it broadly, I agree with you. I agree with you. Of course they're going to go after Donald. Why wouldn't they? So I don't want to go over old ground because it wouldn't be fair to the people who were here from the start. But just very quickly, I'll just give you a couple of minutes of the boiled down version. It makes total sense to me that Jeff Sessions was replaced less than 24 hours after the midterm elections that saw the Democrats take control of the House. Because when the Democrats take control of the House, that means Adam Schiff gets appointed to the chair of the Intelligence Committee. And when Adam Schiff is appointed to the chair of the Intelligence Committee, he can run investigations and issue subpoenas and extend the Russia probe. He said so before the election. If we get elected to the House, I'm going to expand the Russia probe. Of course, the problem for the Donald Trump administration is that Jeff Sessions recused himself and he hasn't been particularly strong on the Russia probe. So it makes total sense of it. This is why I agree with you. So Donald Trump, after losing the House, then looks to Jeff Sessions, says, sorry, mate, you've got to go, and then puts a guy like this in. The first thing the guy does is come out and say, I'm not going to recuse myself. Why? Because two things. He could wrap up the Mueller probe today if he wants to. He can, he can make the Mueller probe go away. That's, that's in his job description. And again, it doesn't matter how much you cry or wail or gnash your teeth about it. He can do that. Whether he should or not, well, that's a, that's a question for you and others to ask yourselves. It's not up to me. But he definitely can do that. And if I was Donald Trump, I would do that. Why? Because, you know, it's a, it's a harmful thing to be going on for the next two years. Why would I let it carry on? To be fair, if the same thing was happening in reverse and I was a Democrat president, I would do the exact same thing. Why am I letting this guy just run around in the media for the next two years repeatedly hitting me over the head when I can stop it today? That's very simple. If you've got the power to stop it, why would you let it continue? So he puts this guy in instead. This guy's going to be a bit of a head kicker where uh, Jeff Sessions wasn't. And he's going to put a roadblock in front of uh, Adam Schiff when he goes after his various little subpoenas and stuff. And he's going to make life a little bit more difficult for Adam Schiff than Jeff Sessions would have because Jeff Sessions recused himself. So I agree with you. Of course Donald Trump thinks that the Democrats are going to come after him. That's all they've been saying for the last two fucking years. (laughs) That's all they've been saying. 
we're going to go after Donald Trump. We're going to expand the Russia probe. We're going to move to impeach. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm sorry, my Democrat friend, if you're worried that if you're upset that Donald Trump is making moves to counter the well-telegraphed moves that the Democrats have made in the previous two years, then you probably shouldn't get angry at Donald Trump as much as you should be angry at your own politicians for explaining everything that they're going to do in the last two years like fucking idiots. Like, chess isn't a very good game. Like, I'm, I'm going to lose every single game of chess if I tell the person opposite what my next move is going to be. And then turn around and act like, oh, my God, he's doing it. To, he's doing it because the Debs are coming after him. Everybody knows the Debs are coming after him. What's the issue here? And if he's doing it because the Debs are coming after him, can you blame him? He's got the power to do it. So why shouldn't he? What's he supposed to, like, slit his own wrist? Is he supposed to throw himself on the mercy of the Democrats in control of the House of Congress and say, please, please, please find me? <laughs> what do you think this is? <laughs> Preschool? What do, you, what do you think? Like, the President of the United States is going to stand in front of the House of Congress and Adam Schiff and, like, all sullen and put his head down and, and dig his toe around in the dirt and say... Now, 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 Donald, did you steal the cookie from the kitchen? Did you steal the cookie from... Yes, yes. Please, please don't come after me. Like, how old are you? <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, bro. It's time to grow up. If you think people in politics don't do things to protect themselves and hurt their opponents, then I'm afraid politics just isn't the game for you. You should go back to tiddlywinks. Or go back to a game where everybody wins. You know those crappy games of pass the parcel where, you know, the particularly, you know, the particularly emotionally charged children had to win a present. They had to win a toy. So the parents at the games of pass the parcel had to put in a toy in for everybody. And if somebody got two toys, they were like, don't you want to hand your toy to Sally so everybody can have a toy? Well, this, this is not preschool pass the parcel. And I, fi I find it amazing that people still have the audacity to say like, they understand that politics is a cutthroat, ruthless game. That like take no prisoners game. They'll understand that. Why don't you come to America? Are you scared? <laughs> I'm terrified. <laughs> Gosh, I'm terrified. Wait. Wow. So see, this is this is this is like then we go when they go low, we go high, right? You're scared, bro. <laughs> what is it? Too much logic for you? Is it too much reality? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But on one hand, people will say that they'll understand that politics is a ruthless, cutthroat, take no prisoners kind of game, and then like the next words out of their mouth are, you know, oh Donald Trump shouldn't do this. That's not fair. It's like, well, what the hell are we talking about here? You know, it, it either is a ruthless cutthroat game where people will do whatever it takes to either take power or hold power or stop someone else from taking power, or it isn't. You decide. Which one do you want? Do you want the real version or do you want the fantasy version where everything works out the way you imagine it to be? where politicians give speeches about hope and change and they really mean it. Is that the version you want? Because that's not going to happen. Not in this lifetime. Oh, now I'm a pedophile. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us, the Bears.
Much appreciated. Everyone give the Bears a round of applause. We degraded within three comments from, what was it? Donald Trump is scared of the Democrats. That was the first comment. The second comment was, why don't you come to America? You're scared. And the third comment was, you're a pedophile. Bravo, sir. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> Thanks for playing the role. You're welcome anytime. Please invite your friends. I'm sure they'll have fun too. Let's carry on. All documents related to Whitaker's appointment. Jake. Jessica Snyder, thanks so much. And joining me now is Democratic Representative Adam Schiff of California. He's poised to be the next chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, Soon to be Mr. Chairman, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, thank you. So I want to start with the new CNN reporting that acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker has no intention of recusing himself from overseeing the Russia investigation. Uh, listen to what he said about Mueller's appointment on a radio show last year. I, I, think, I think we just uncovered the left-wing version of Pizzagate. <laughs> Here I am! Ah. <laughs> uh. These Democrat supporters spreading their whacked-out conspiracy theories about pedophiles on Periscope. It's got to stop. Don't stop. Never stop. For whatever reason, Rod Rosenstein determined that you know, the Department of Justice couldn't handle this in their ordinary course of work, which I think is ridiculous. And exactly. Includes, you know, an effort by uh, Jim Comey to... Uh, get this, you know, put in place and have somebody that he's very familiar with and Bob Mueller conduct the investigation. So, I don't, you know, I, I think it smells a little fishy. I think it smells a little fishy. Your response, sir? Fishy. Well, look, uh, this is why if he doesn't recuse himself, that any decision he makes in the Mueller investigation is going to have a taint about it. Ah. Uh, it's going to cause a profound question. Now, we played Cory Booker before saying, you know, he actually testified against Jeff Sessions in his confirmation hearing that Jeff Sessions should not be made Attorney General. And now it seems like so many people are coming out saying Jeff Sessions should not be fired. I found it amazing that, you know, two years ago, Jeff Sessions was a white supremacist. He was evil. He hates gay people. He hates women, all of that stuff. But today that he's gone... Now that he has left the administration, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. Rainbows shoot out of his ass. He's the best attorney general we've ever had. But I'm like, wait, wait, didn't you didn't you hate the guy? Like, isn't he a white supremacist? Like, isn't he a racist or something? He hates women and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now he's good. Like now we like him. And now this now this new guy has to recuse himself because he had an opinion. And of course, Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff's a lawyer, isn't he? Adam Schiff knows as well as just about anyone does that uh, there's a very different thing from having an opinion and having, uh, you know, a, a legal decision. And, you know, you can have whatever opinion you want, but if you can't legally uh, formulate your actions when you are Attorney General, then your opinion doesn't mean shit. So to be fair, like the guy could... You know, the guy could have the opinion that Robert Mueller is a unicorn, but if he can't legally prove it, it doesn't mean anything. Like, if you rem remember that movie, A Few Good Men, with the midget Tom Cruise? So Tom Cruise is in, and he's like, she's like, you know, you've got to believe it. Don't you believe that he's innocent? And Tom Cruise is like, it doesn't matter what I believe. It only matters what I can prove. That's, that's, that's the game. 
So Adam Schiff knows this as well. But it seems to me with the way that they treated Jeff Sessions before he was confirmed and now the way that they're treating him like he's some kind of angel who shouldn't be fired now that he is out of the White House, it seems to me that they're not so concerned with actually who is the Attorney General, but they're more concerned with making sure that the Attorney General can't do anything about the Russia probe. And again, perception is reality. We live in a subjective world now. It's not my doing. It's not my choice. It's not my preference, but shit, here we are. So now that we do live in this perception is reality subjective world, then we can look at that a couple of ways. Of course, certain people will say, well, of course it's important for the AG to recuse themselves from the Russia probe because the Russia probe is going to bring down the president that gave them the job. And another perception might be, well, of course the Democrats want every AG to recuse themselves about the Russia probe because the Russia probe is a big pile of shit and they don't want to get exposed for it. But we've already established that this guy is not going to recuse himself despite the threats from Adam Schiff. So, fun times ahead. Question among the public about whether these decisions are being made by the new Attorney General, acting Attorney General, in the interests of justice or purely in Donald Trump's legal uh, liability interests. This is exactly why he ought to recuse himself. Yep. Uh, and one question that we have here in Congress right now is, did he, was he forced somehow to make a commitment to the president to ignore uh, the <laughs> advice of ethics lawyers at the Justice Department? And not seek out their... So the question, are you getting a snapshot of the next two years, ladies and gentlemen? Are you getting a snapshot of the next two years? One of the questions that we have is, was, was Mr. Whitaker forced to ignore the advice that he hasn't taken yet from the ethics <laughs> from the ethics board? <laughs> like, was he, was he saying, okay, you can have the job as long as you ignore the advice from the ethics board? That's a, that's a question that we have. Donald Trump sat uh, Mr. Whitaker down and said, look, I'll give you the job as long as you avoid any legal advice at all and just do what I tell you. And this guy, of course, was like, yes, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? That wouldn't be a volatile appointment at all. That, that sounds fantastic. Please, where do I fucking sign up, Donald? <laughs> now Donald Trump can make whatever laws he wants. He hasn't even taken the he hasn't even taken the advice yet, and we're already questioning why he's rejecting the advice. Do you see what's happening here? This is called getting out in front of the story. Getting like you you get out in front of the story because you know what the guy's going to do, and then when the guy does what he said he was going to do, you turn the story into he's doing what we told you he was going to do, but for the different reason that we're presenting. Not the reason that he says. It happens all the time. It's always, it's always trying. You're always trying to get out in front of your opponent. Get out in front of it. Get out in front. Get out in front. They call it frame and own. Frame and own it. So if you if, if you know that there's a big crisis on the way that's going to hurt you negatively, I mean Andrew Breitbart used to talk about this. For all the criticisms of Andrew Breitbart, he understood media like few other people did. And this is why Andrew Breitbart, when he first, you know, quote unquote, came out after he was working at the Huffington Post and he said, I want to create the conservative version of the Huffington Post. And he was very open about it. But he then went through and listed all of his indiscretions in his college years as a kid growing up, when he was an adult, when he got too drunk, when he woke up with no pants on, 
when he stayed out too late, when he said the wrong thing, he just listed them all. And people were like, why the hell are you doing this to yourself? And he's like, because it's better if I do it now than when people come out and try to do it later. Because now, now they can't. Framing and owning. Owning and framing it. He owned it and then he framed it. He announced all of his indiscretions and then he framed it the way he wanted it to. I'm doing it because I'm in control and they can't get me. Then what the hell are you supposed to say? Like when somebody comes out and says, Andrew Breitbart stayed out late one night and drank too many vodka shots and was found in an alleyway, you know, the next morning with his pants around his ankles in a pool of vomit. He's going to say, yeah, I already told you about that. What's the story here? What's the story? Young people do funny things. But you should be outraged. (laughs) Should I? Carry on. Advice was that part of his getting the job because this president is guided by one thing alone, and that is what's good for Donald Trump. The country doesn't matter that much. Uh. If President Trump ultimately takes any action that results in Mueller being fired, whether it's by Whitaker or some other way, what action will the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives take? Well, one of our first actions, uh, even in the minority, has been to send out preservation letters now to the administration to make sure they preserve all evidence. Uh, But if the president uh, effectively undermines the rule of law and causes the (laughs) special counsel to be fired or an abrupt or partisan end uh, to this investigation, then it will fall. So now now if the president causes the special counsel to uh, to be fired, he will be undermining the rule of law when it literally is the law that Donald Trump can fire the special counsel. <laughs> Do you see what's happening here? <laughs> Donald Trump will be undermining the rule of law if he follows the law. Oh, what? Pardon? Pardon? Pardon, Adam? Yes. Donald Trump will be undermining the rule of law if he does what is exactly within the law for him to do. I see. Two, two more years, folks. Two more years. Congress to find out the facts itself, to get those facts uh, from uh, the Justice Department, to continue uh, our own investigation so that we can tell the country exactly what happened, uh, and we can hold people accountable if they take any unlawful act of obstruction of Derek. justice. So there are- Derek, in, Derek in the chat, that's fantastic. Uh, that foreign laughter is unsettling, I know. I know. Can you imagine how I feel when I watch this stuff? When I watch American comedies, can you imagine how unsettling it is for me? Like, what about me? Have some empathy, comrade. I mean, you know, like you don't want to be a bigot or nothing, do you? Like, don't be a bigot, bro. Come on. I know I'm a foreigner. I know I talk funny. That does that doesn't mean you have to be afraid. Like, don't be afraid of change. Don't be afraid of the other. I mean, you know, just <laughs> just embrace embrace people from other nations. You know, this this is not doing this is not doing any good to the uh, stereotype that. Like, would you lock my children in a cage? I guess so. You know, you <laughs> don't be xenophobic. I just talk a little different. I'm still a human being. We're all human beings at the end of the day. One race, human race, brother. Big love. Love. Don't be afraid. I'm just like you. <laughs> Our remedies we will have uh, and exposure is probably among the most powerful. 
You're likely going to be chairing the House uh, Intelligence Committee come January. You've hinted that, that you might reopen the committee's Russia investigation and interview individuals that the Republicans on the committee uh, were not willing to do so. Who are some of the names on the list? Well, look, uh, you know, what happened actually six months ago when the Republicans walked away from the investigation is they decided to focus uh, all of their efforts on investigating the investigators, on harassing the Justice Department and the FBI and basically do the bidding of the president. We've continued, Jake, to do the investigation. We've continued to bring witnesses in. Uh, that won't change when we take the majority. It will just be that much easier because we can compel people. It will be interesting after two years of saying the Russian the Robert Mueller, Robert Mueller special counsel, like they're now marching, it has to be protected. We found out today that Robert Mueller is indeed finishing his report. He's writing up the end of the report. So, like, as far as, you know, for all intents, in purpose, for all intents and purposes, it must be nearly time for a break, the, the, the investigation is essentially over. If you are writing the final chapter of the report so you can present it to other people, You've, you've done all the investigationing there is to be done. There is no more investigationing, and I'm saying investigationing on purpose, but there is no more investigationing to be had. If you're putting the, if you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's, you've already done it. <clears throat> you're just, you're just preparing it so you can present it. So it will be interesting once that report is presented, how Adam Schiff is going to be able to justify saying that the Mueller report didn't go far enough when they've spent the last two years saying that it all hinges on the Mueller report. Don't you think? Don't you think that might be odd? Robert Mueller must be allowed to finish his work. Well, he is. He is literally finishing it right now. Robert Mueller must be allowed to carry on without any kind of interruption. Okay, well, he's nearly finished. Well, I think we need to preserve whatever's in the Mueller report. No worries, here it is. There it is. Flip through it. Have a coffee. Have a cigarette. Take your time. And then what, like a week later, two weeks later, a month later, after receiving the report, what's, a, what's, what's the story going to be? Well, you know, Mueller did a pretty good job, but I think there's more here to uncover. I remember speaking with a waitress in a restaurant once whose grandmother came from Russia. Have we talked to her yet? Can we bring her in? I'm sure there's more here to discuss. Find me, find, somebody find me some Russians. Find me some Russians quickly. How are they going to be able to justify continuing the Russia investigation once the Russia investigation is finished? Anyone think about that? Have we considered that? Politically, it might not be a good idea for the Democrats to continue pushing the quote-unquote Russia probe after Robert Mueller hands in his findings because it may make them appear to be engaged in some kind of witch hunt, right? Oh, you can't say it's a witch hunt. It's not a witch hunt. We've got evidence. Look at all the evidence. We've got 13 Russians in Russia that work for a catering company. We've indicted them. We've got Paul Manafort indicted for things that are completely unrelated to the Russia probe of 2016 presidential election. We've got that. Yeah, yeah, you've got that. That's true. We've got George Papadopoulos, who, despite the case being about, you know, a foreign government basically taking over the presidency, who was, you know, given seven days prison for quote-unquote lying to the FBI, doesn't seem like a very serious charge. 
We've also got General Flynn. Remember, he admitted to lying to the FBI about talking to the Russians. Oh, wait, he was exonerated, wasn't he? Yeah, the FBI cleared him now. Shit. 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 What else have we got? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Because, of course, when you talk about it's all about justice, it probably necessarily isn't. Because as we discussed before, when you have the opportunity, when you have the position in politics to damage your opponent, you will take it. Because guess what? If, if you don't take it, you don't last in politics. You know, the old saying, nice guys finish last? Well, in politics, they don't even get to the fucking start line. The nice guys, their tyres are slashed on the team bus before they can even leave the hotel to get to the stadium. Nice guys don't finish last in politics. They don't run to begin with. And, you know, my comrades on the other side might say, well, that's not fair. This is serious. There's an investigation. Things need to be uncovered here. There's a truth to be uncovered. What, you don't care about Donald Trump? You don't care about his, you know, dodging the draft? You don't care about his sexual indiscretions? You don't care about his affairs? You don't care about this and that? And I would put it to you, well, as best as I can ascertain from afar, from the outside looking in, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to give you the lowdown and say, no, they don't care. They don't care. The MAGA people, your opposite, your enemy. Of course they don't care. Perhaps in recent times and recent years due to more of an exposure, but you could probably blame a number of things. Social media, the 24-hour news cycle, cable news, tabloid editorialising everything. Whatever the reason is, it seems, you know, the people opposite are no longer willing to elect a nice guy. I mean, look at Mitt Romney. He was still a racist and a Nazi and a fraudster. That didn't matter. John McCain, literally a war hero who sucked up to the liberal media at every opportunity. Ah, oh, he's disgusting. He's senile. He's racist. He's a warmonger. You know. The, the beautiful part is the MAGA people don't like either of them either. So I guess the bottom line is um, the MAGA people didn't elect Donald Trump to be a nice guy. Perhaps they understand now that nice guys do indeed finish last. And in the game of politics, which is ruthless and cutthroat and every man for himself, which everyone understands, which nobody is pretending otherwise unless it is politically convenient for them to do so at the particular time when they come out and make speeches about justice and shit, which everybody knows is, a, is bullshit to begin with. Nobody for a second believes that when politicians come out on channels like CNN and talk about, oh, this is all about justice and equity and, and equality and harmony, nobody believes that. They all know it's bullshit. Because politics is bullshit, really. If you boil it down to a, a distilled enough level. So I would suggest fairness or otherwise, the MAGA people did not elect a nice guy for the very reason that they understand that nice guys, as I said, don't even, they don't get to finish last. They don't even get to the stadium to run in the first place. So why would they elect a guy that's not even going to get a chance to run? Maybe they learnt their lesson. Maybe they decided after years of electing nice guys that a nice guy isn't just going to get, it's just not going to get the job done. So maybe they decided to elect someone who ain't so nice and someone who's going to stick the finger up back at you. And, you know, with that, you know, it's not for me to say whether it's right or wrong or morally good or bad, but I do have to say when I witness the crying and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth, and the complaining coming from the other side, well, again, I'll have to say, well, 
I'm sorry, comrade, but I don't share in your sympathy. Because it makes perfect sense to me why they would elect someone to, you know, attack their political opponents with brutal indiscretion. Sam, Democrats need a monster. Maybe they do. Maybe they do, friend. Maybe they do. Maybe they'll get one now. And, you know, maybe the ante will just continually be getting upped. And may the best monster win. Let's take a short break. We'll be back in five. Thanks for sticking around. If you do stick around till after the break, we'll see you soon. If not, uh, thanks a billion. I'll see you very shortly. Aloha, James defending the boys from the starting block against slander charges. Alleged! Yes, yes, alleged. I'm hosting Trust and Verify with Boogie Bumper every Sunday night at 1 a.m. on TABshow.com. Join us and all your favorite broadcasters there. TABshow.com Friend and foe alike, join me, Varun Prasad, every week on the Common Discourse Weekly Roundup podcast. You can follow the show on at TCD Tweet on Twitter and Periscope. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, StreamMe, iTunes, or your preferred podcast platform. If you like what you hear, or you would like to express your raging discontent, please consider leaving us a review. The Common Discourse, independent political opinion, thought, and analysis for the people, by the people. Do you lie awake at night pondering life's big questions? Is there a God? What is the meaning of life? How would one do an hour-long sports show without ever actually talking about sport? If yes, we can help you answer 33% of these pressing questions. All you have to do is check out the starting block on TAVshow.com, Periscope, Stream Me, or YouTube, Wednesday mornings at 3am Eastern Standard Time. You can also download the podcast on iTunes just by searching for The Starting Block in the store or at thestartingblock.podbean.com. Or if you're really desperate for answers, why not check us out on Twitter, at The Starting Block. No K at the end, don't forget to drop that K. Enlightenment is now only a click away. Now that is a freaking awesome I think a lot of it is he's free where they're not. If you are on the side of the politically correct, then you are, it's like you're constrained by the weapon that you're trying to hit somebody else with. Does that make sense? Like you can't, you can't profess the virtues of political correctness and overt sensitivity and not offending people and then come out and do it because you'll be a traitor to your own cause. So if you don't sign up to that politically correct mindset, if you don't fall into the I must not offend crowd, then you're really free. And they're not because they can't attack, they can only attack you by saying how offensive you are. And if it's particularly unpopular at the time to be, you know, uh, politically correct, then guess what? Every single time that you use the only weapon that you can, which is political correctness, you get less popular and the person that you're attacking gets more popular just by the fact that you're attacking them. Because if you're saying that these people are so politically correct, like they, they can't say whatever they want, every time you try to attack the guy, you prove his point. You, you make him stronger. 
It's like trying to fire nukes into the sun and think you're going to blow it up. It doesn't work that way. You're just adding to the combustion. It's not going to stop. It's not, it's not going to stop. He's not going to slow down. The way these people approach it, they, they just don't get it. He, he's not going to just suddenly snap out of it. He's not going to start being what you want him to be. It's only going to get faster and harder. But they, they don't see that. They don't understand. So, that I mean, because that's the bubble. That's the privileged bubble of going straight from college into a, you know, into the media and living in that environment and all of your colleagues agree with you. Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Welcome back. to see ya. Let's carry on. Let's get straight back into it. A little bit of morning Joe in the evening. Predicted exit polls show healthcare to be the most important issue for voters nationwide. 41% put it at the top of the list. 23% said immigration is the most important issue. 22. I think, um, if I'm being brutally honest, that was probably something that worked against uh, the Republicans pretty hard. And it was the inability to recognize healthcare as probably the most important issue not only to liberals, not only to Democrats, but to the all-important, swingy, um, you know, suburban voters. Here's something I've, I think the Democrats did very well. Now, on the one hand, what they were doing publicly in the media and on, you know, channels like MSNBC, CNN, the, the thing that was being promoted that was, um, like, as the main thrust of the Democrat Party in their campaigning was, you know, it was a very good perception that was created. Uh, the unhinged, the snowflakes, the, the protests, this, this was the stuff that was getting flashed around on the cable news. But what the Democrats did very, very well, 
and I actually discussed this on Trust and Verify with James. At, I had it had to be at least four months ago we were talking about this. I don't know if James is still in the chat, but if he is, he'll back me up here. We did you know, at least a 20-minute breakdown on what the Democrats are doing, the, the type of candidates that they are putting up in these swingy electorates, in these purple – we call them electorates. Sorry, that's my local tongue sneaking in there to give you a lashing. But, uh, you know, in these local uh, races, they were putting up candidates that were very, uh, you know, very polished, but not polished in a political sense. They were putting up candidates like veterans – right and but they were basically running on like republican light and you know sam made the comment the other day in in twitter and i agreed with him uh you know stepping away from the second amendment issue and they were basically saying look i'm a patriot i'm an american i love america but what we really need to get sorted out is healthcare right so what they were doing is like in these in these kinds of districts where Donald Trump and the Republicans had had great success previously, they ran, you know, candidates that were, you know, very attuned to the local politics and the local messaging. And then they just tweaked it a bit to, you know, hey, Donald Trump's not the guy, the Republicans aren't the guy, come back to the Democrat Party. This is something we've discussed before. Um, the seats that the Demo- the Republicans lost in this midterm were actually only... They weren't Republican seats. You need to understand that. These were not Republican stronghold seats. These were seats that the Republicans won in 2010, 2012 and 2014. But they are Democrat-leaning, right, historically. So they won those seats on the back of uh, terrible performances by Barack Obama in regards to the GFC, right, the global financial crisis, and all other kinds of things. And so these Democrat-leaning seats turned to Republicans. But they were never guaranteed to hold on to those seats. And this is why I say, you know, there's you're only one smooth-talking politician away from the Democrats winning back the White House. You better believe it. Like, this is the game. This is what happens. So the, the Democrats were very smart in the way they approached these congressional races in the, you know, the suburban seats. The types of <clears throat> candidates that they put up for election were, uh, they, they studied the local lay of the land very astutely. And if you had have been paying attention 12 months ago, you would know that um, one of the first things that the Democrats did <clears throat> after they lost the White House was go, all right, let's get local. And this is something that the Democrats do exceptionally well. They focus on local politics. They don't, you know, they lost the White House, sure. They didn't have the the Congress. They didn't have the Senate. They didn't have the White House. So they said, right, let's get local. And let's do it from the bottom up. And with the type of candidates they chose, like I said, veterans, very uh, likable, affable candidates, and, you know, it's easy, it's easy to sit here and go, oh, they're a fake, they're a phony, but you, you have to put yourself in the mind of the voter who is potentially not watching everything. You know, this is why the soundbite is the politician's friend. A catchy slogan is something that can just get out there like that, you know? They don't have to understand all the issues. Look at Colin, Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania, fine example. Fine example. It's a veteran... He even came out and said he's basically pro-life. He's a Democrat. Now, you may know and understand that if it ever got to push come to shove and he, would, he was forced to vote, uh, you know, 
for his conscience on pro-life issues or something like that, that he'd probably go with the Democrat leadership. But the point, that's not the point. The point is he sold the message effectively in the local race and it paid dividends. Of course, he was helped somewhat by uh, gerrymandering and redistricting in Pennsylvania. But hey, everybody does that. Everybody redistricts when they get an opportunity. Everyone gerrymanders when they get an opportunity. So yeah, that's if that's the game, then you have to understand it and win, not bitch, right? So the Democrats, you know, you need to give them some credit, some credit for the candidates that they ran in these local races. Were They were very well picked and they did a fine job, I think, running on local issues. And, you know, arguably the Republicans knew that they weren't going to hold the House to begin with because historically it's very rare for, to have the White House and then not get a hit in the House. But, uh, you know... You have to give credit where it's due. If you, if you don't give credit where it's due, then you're bound to repeat the mistakes next time. And that's not what you want. So it's rock and roll. Said the economy, 10% said gun policy. So we move on. Some more from the exit polls. 45% of voters nationwide approve of how Donald Trump is handling his job as president. 54% disapprove. 26% of voters said one reason for their U.S. House vote today was to express support for Donald Trump. 38% said their vote was to express opposition to President Trump. Now, see, look at this. So 26% support Trump, 38% oppose Trump. But the, the big one here is not a factor, 33%. So of that 33%, how many of them had healthcare as their top priority instead of immigration? We already know what was it. Healthcare was like 38% of people put healthcare as a top. I think immigration was 21. So even if you just take those, even if you just take those numbers and push them into the 33% bracket, you're looking at enough of that slice of that pie to win over, like you're looking at enough votes there in that 33% based on, you know, 38 versus 21 to potentially get the votes that you need in the suburban areas where things like healthcare matter, because you're talking about middle-class voters, right? You're not talking about rural voters, you're talking about the suburbs. Suburbs are different issues to rural and suburbs are different issues to big city. Now, you can argue that the Democrats have spent a long time, and I would agree with you, you would argue that the Democrats have spent the longest time ignoring the concerns of the middle-class voters, and I would 100% agree with that, absolutely. And I would say that one of the reasons that Donald Trump got elected is because he's the first politician in you know, probably a generation or two to actually make the middle-class voters his focal point. And he was the first one to jump, and guess what? It worked. So then the Democrats were sitting on their hands going, fuck, you know, he beat us to the punch. We've ignored these people. The Republican establishment, the, let's be honest, the Republican Party was founded for a, for a long time on, you know, the country club culture, right? So they, they hated the middle class as well. Okay, so it's sort of like it's, I'm not going out on a limb to say that. Um, because the Republicans have been able to market themselves in the last 20 years, 30 years as the party of the middle class doesn't necessarily mean historically that they weren't doing everything they can to screw the middle class or continue to do so. But, you know, we're talking about marketing and campaigning and winning elections here, not necessarily what truth is, because remember, we're in a post-truth era, subjective era. So where the Democrats used to be the party of the quote-unquote worker and the Republicans used to be the party of quote-unquote business... Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a straight swap, but it's certainly a case of the Republicans um, have more, you know, 
over recent years aligned themselves with middle class interests and the Democrats have more aligned themselves with fringe interests and university theoretical far left nonsense. I'm talking about the leadership of the Democrat Party here, not your average Democrats. The average Democrats still exist. I mean, I live, I live in a part of Sydney here which is very working class, very high immigrant, very working class, and you will find uh, lefties around here, you know, that they, they aren't the stereotypical lefties that you see walking around big cities with man bags with a cafe latte on their way to, you know, their, their office job where they feel white guilt and talk about white privilege all day. That doesn't happen. The lefties I know, are like, more often than not, they're bigger than me and I'm a pretty fucking big guy and they're bigger than me. They're ex-rugby they're ex players. They're union workers who work blue-collar jobs who are about as hard as it gets. And you wouldn't want to get into a bar fight with them. And they love Australia. They, they, they sing the anthem. They salute the flag. They're patriots, but they just hate the fucking conservatives. Right? They just, they just hate the right. They hate the, they hate the conservatives because they, they're the business owners. They're the rich guys. Fuck them. That's, that's the attitude. So they're not all soy boys. You know? They're not all soft. And I think, you know, if you want to win elections, you have to understand that. One of the greatest conservative politicians of all time in this country, a guy named John Howard, the second longest serving prime minister in Australian history, he understood that. And what he did when he campaigned and he flipped a lot of these long-time, you know, lefty seats in areas such as mine, like flipped, like it was, it was like a whitewash. He slammed it. He won all of these left-wing seats and the lefties were sitting around going, fuck, what have we done? He did the exact same thing Donald Trump did, just with probably a little bit of a different style. Uh, John Howard was not your Trump-esque character, but what he did was he appealed to aspiration, aspirational voters. They even came up with a nickname for it. They called it Howard's Battlers. Howard's Battlers. So, you know, the blue-collar guys who get up at four in the morning, go to work, don't get home till six at night. They pay a lot of money for childcare. You know, they've got a wife and two kids. They've got a car that they're paying off. They've got a house. They've got a mortgage. They're just trying to put food on the table. That's, that's who he went after. And he was in power for 12 years. So it's worth considering. Yeah, uh, Sam says cinema is ahead in AZ now. It'll be interesting to watch. We talked about that at the start of the show. I wonder what if there's something else to uncover there in AZ. Um, a few of my Republican friends in the States who come from Arizona have told me repeatedly ad nauseum that Arizona is the most corrupt state in the United States, believe it or not. I'm like, what about LA? What about New York? And they're like, no, 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 Arizona. <laughs> Arizona is a fucking shithole. So I think, I think it was James that told me that Arizona is the LA of the Republican Party in terms of corruption. <laughs> so <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what happens in Arizona. But yeah, you get my general point. The Democrats ran uh, a pretty smart campaign in these local congressional seats. Now, is it possible that the leadership of the Democrat Party, having won back the House, will do everything they can to fuck it up and lose the next election for these congressional um, representatives who have just been elected in their local seats? Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's probable. I think the leadership of the Democrat Party is so detached and so incompetent and so removed from what works in local politics that they will probably do everything. They will do. They will do all of the do not do's in retaining local, uh, locally elected representatives. I think it's entirely probable. They might try something different. We'll get to Nancy Pelosi after we do this. We'll listen to Nancy Pelosi. Actually, you know what? Let's do Nancy Pelosi now. Let's do Nancy now. <laughs> 
Bet Nancy hasn't heard that for a while. But uh, we'll do Nancy now. We'll get to Nancy. Because this, this feeds right into what I'm telling you. Where is, where is Where's Nance? No, that's Jennifer Rubin. Here's Nancy. All right. So check this out. This was uh, election night. And we'll discuss the various things as they come up. It's rock and roll. Don't 10 minutes. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining us. And, and also one... Looks like it's going to be one of these videos. To salute the chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, aren't we proud of Ben Ray Lujan? And I want to... Don't do it to me, Nancy. Come on, Nancy. Come on. I acknowledge my two grandsons. Ugh. This is always a problem when you try to watch little periscopes on Twitter for some reason. I don't know why. Thomas and Paul. Oh. As they wave to their other cousins. <laughs> and Bella in California. Tell you what, let's see if we can buffer it up and we'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. We'll do a little bit more of this one. 33% said Trump was not a factor so, in their vote. So, Willie, we, we, we've talked about uh, Democrats obviously getting the big prize last night for them. Uh, again, the end of one-party rule in Washington, D.C. There's a lot for Democrats to be excited about. Uh, not quite as much for Republicans. Oh, yeah, Tom, Tom. I think most people thought they were going to maintain. Absolutely, absolutely. See, Tom gets it, and Sam gets it too. I've put this forward before. Like, so the basically California is like the beating heart of the Democrat leadership. Look at the Democrat leaders that come out of California. Uh, isn't Swalwell Californian as well? Someone can correct me if he's not, but I'm pretty sure Swalwell's Californian. Uh, Maxine Waters is Californian. Adam Schiff is California. Nancy Pelosi is California. Maxine's going to be heading the Finance Committee. Adam Schiff, the Intelligence Committee. Nancy Pelosi's the Speaker of the House, right? California is like the beating heart of the leadership. That's, that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying uh, that it's entirely probable that the leadership of the Democrat Party is so incompetent, so far removed from the concerns of average Democrat voters in suburbs away from California that they'll probably fuck up what they just did. They'll probably fuck it up. They will probably, you know, create the perception around themselves that they are so far removed from the new candidates that have just been elected who ran very strong local uh, campaigns. The candidates were very well selected. You know, former vets talking about blue-collar, middle-class issues. They did very well. But I think it's entirely probable that the leadership of the Democrat Party will fuck it up. And I think there's a very big chance that those seats could go right back the other way in 2020. Because consider this, after eight years of being starved of power... The people like the Nancy Pelosi's, the Adam Schiff's, the Maxine Waters, now they get a little taste to get they get a little taste again. <clears throat> Will they control themselves? Will they be able to present themselves having gotten that power back that they are indeed the party once again of working class voters and middle class considerations? Or 
dear listener, will they spend the next two years investigating anybody who's had a sip of vodka at a cocktail party talking about tax returns and saying that Donald Trump's a Nazi? Right? the Senate, but still, they won, they won some really big races. But I just got to say, I think we all have to be really honest this morning. A lot of Americans decided to go out and vote. We saw it there to support a man who go. spent the last month of the campaign not making subtle appeals to racism, <laughs> but making overtly bigoted, racist <laughs> statements, attacking brown people, attacking oh, black people, Joe. attacking people who were the others. I'm here to tell you, if the leadership of the, Republic, uh, the Democrat Party talks like this in the next two years, they are definitely going to fuck it up for the candidates that just won you know, a few days ago. This is not what regular suburban Democrats are voting for. They're not voting for this shit. We just established they care about, they want healthcare, right? Rightly or wrongly. They, they weren't voting to repudiate the racist, bigoted guy who talks ill of brown people. That, 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 that wasn't happening in the suburbs. In the suburbs, they were like, hey, I, I, just, I just don't want to pay so much for healthcare. If the leadership of the Democrat Party is is, is carries on like this, like I, I, I'm sure Morning Joe think I th I'm sure Joe Scarborough thinks he's helping. I'm I'm sure he thinks, but then again, he might just be in the elitist liberal media bubble, where the real world, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, seldom seems to filter through. I don't know. You tell me. I don't like their chances. If Joe, if 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 what Joe's saying there is what's carried on in Washington by Nancy and Maxine and Adam Schiff, then the two-year sojourn, the eight-year sojourn, will be followed up by two years of nonsense, which will be followed up by another eight-year sojourn from power, perhaps, perhaps. Let's see if this is rolling now. No, it's not going to like us. Campaigning up until the last minute in California because it's all about the children. It's all about the children. Is it? Is it, Nancy? Oh, this is torture. Absolute torture. Salute all of <laughs> What are the odds? No, it's not going to play. It's not going to work. That's right. We can do a podcast. We'll do a podcast about it another day. Let's do this one. This is fun. Oh, yeah, everything Nancy said was basically words straight out of a Donald Trump speech. My jaw hit the floor when Nancy Pelosi turned around during that speech and said, we're going to go after more jobs and draining the swamp. I was, I was fucking floored. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe my ears. 
<laughs> like you're joking, aren't you? <laughs> it was incredible. It was insanity. Man tweets video of himself using toilet bowl to strain water from his spaghetti. <laughs> NT News is absolutely fantastic. That's the Northern Territory News. It's kind of like anyone anyone who knows NT News in Australia, it's kind of like The Onion, but it's not. It's kind of like real news, but it's not. Like it is real news, but they're kind of chilled. People from the Northern Territory have like a a good sense of humour. So it, it is real news, but they kind of take the piss out of things. It's, it's, it's hard to explain. It's very subtle. NT News. Man tweets video of himself using toilet bowl to strain water from his spaghetti. A disturbing tweet of a man using his toilet bowl to strain his spaghetti because his sink is, quote, full of dishes <laughs> could surely bring... <clears throat> he sounds like a bachelor hero to me. The first thing I thought when this guy has tweeted a picture of his sink and it's full of dishes like that, and he's like, hey, I'll just strain the spaghetti in the toilet. My first thought was, fuck, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> think of all the minutes I would have saved from scrubbing pots and pans when I could have just been using the toilet. Australia did have an earthquake, but it was in Western Australia, so we didn't feel it over here. We're on the East Coast. We're East Coast scum. A disturbing tweet of a man using his toilet bowl to strain his spaghetti because his sink is, quote, full of dishes, could surely bring an end to one of the 21st century's most debated topics. Is dish is a dishwasher necessary in a modern home? <laughs> you see what I mean? About the way they approach it. Tagged life hack, the video cannot be unseen once it's viewed. While some applauded the man for his efforts, myself included, labelling it sensational, most reacted with more uh, with the more natural gag reflex. Many pointed out that even if his kitchen sink was full of dishes, he would have had to have had, at, at very least, walk past the bathroom sink to get to the toilet. That's a good point. That's a very good point. So he walked past the bathroom sink to do it in the toilet. I didn't even think of that. That's brilliant. His culinary dish has now been labelled Pischetti or Pisgetti by those in the Twitter sphere. Let's have a little look, if it plays. I'm not a bachelor, no, Heather. Heather on YouTube correctly identifies that that's because I'm not a bachelor. She's correct. <laughs> it's got 6.8 million views. Looks like it's not going to get 6.81. Thanks to this hideous internet, which doesn't seem to be cooperating for some reason. And he goes for eight seconds. Come on, man. Come on, man. Look at the look at the line. Haven't eaten all day. Sink full of dishes, but that won't stop me. Life hack. <laughs> He's a genius. No doubt it's fair play by the Twitter user. Timmy Rink to score some extra social media followers, but he may have been surprised when he also scored a free feed courtesy of Uber Eats. Somebody sent out food to him. Somebody sent food to him. They're like, oh, this guy can't be eating out of a toilet. Here, send the guy some send the guy some pasta from Uber Eats and you know. It's it'll be humanitarian.
is is very entertaining broadcasting, waiting for things to load. Absolutely sensational. So disgusting stuff happening in America again. I can't relate. I've been in Italy all week. I don't know what the <laughs> pores have been doing, but apparently this guy had a sink full of dishes and didn't want to wash them. So instead, he strained his spaghetti in the toilet. The pores. Oh, is this still water? Garcelle Bouvon. I said sparkling. <laughs> Nevertheless, I, I, like I just don't know what this kind of porn is. Ah, oh, come on. This is torture. Has to do with me anymore. I mean, I don't eat at other people's houses for this very reason. How dare you get booty flakes near something you're about to eat? How could you? Uh, Americans are disgusting. <laughs> the thing that confuses me is not just that he strained spaghetti noodles in the toilet. It's that he bypassed the bathroom sink, oh, the bathtub, and way. went to the it. toilet to make piscetti. I'm disgusted by the whole thing. I, uh. Listen, this is why I have a simple rule. If I haven't been to your house, I can't eat your food. I imagine the worst was that you had cats crawling to and fro on the kitchen sink. But this is a level of disgusting that I cannot abide. I mean... In Italy, where I am, Venice to be exact, they would never think of disrespecting the pasta in such a way. I just can't imagine how America has <laughs> fallen by the wayside so much. Us Italians. Us Italians. <laughs> have so much more respect for pasta, spaghetti. I don't know if that was racist or not, but I think I saw a guy doing it when I was in Rome the other day, or maybe it was in Florence. Oh, the cities run together. Anyway, carry on, <laughs> pores. I can't be seen with the likes of you. Excellent. <laughs> so dis- uh, I have to show you this. This is Jennifer Rubin. Did anyone see this today? I thought this was fantastic. I condemn harassment and threatening conduct of any sort. In brackets, shame on the protesters who showed up at Tucker Carlson's home and made threats. However, after leaving office, she deserves none of the niceties normally accorded to others in her position. I think it's supposed to be afforded, but it doesn't matter. And my first thought after reading this was, wait, after she leaves office, isn't she no longer in her position? Like, she's left office. She she deserves none of the niceties normally afforded to others in her position. But when she leaves office, she's no longer in her position. So what, you're just going to be harassing a citizen on the street? Isn't it? I thought we were against that. Uh, aren't we against uh, citizens being harassed on the streets because of their views and their ideas and their identity? I thought that was wrong. No. Nah. Nah. We love it again now. Jennifer Rubin. Acosta should sue the president. <laughs> Yes, yes. This person writes for the Washington Post, a.k.a. the real news. Acosta should sue the president and Americans should shun Sanders. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Wait to hear this. The White House revoked the press pass of and defamed CNN's Jim Acosta, falsely accusing him of putting his hands on an intern. <laughs> Look at the video. (laughs) 
Like we we have we have reached peak subjective reality now. We have reached peak perception is reality. This this is the video that's supposed to clear him. You can clearly see the hand coming down and pushing the girl's arm down. Like it's not a why are we getting told that this literally did why are we getting told that this didn't happen when everybody can see that it's happening? Like have are they I don't know. So many people are saying he didn't touch her. I'm like, what are you talking about? You you know that you've reached a point in society where there is no going back, ladies and gentlemen. You know that you've reached a fundamental chasm, a fundamental schism between groups. When two when two people can watch a video and one person can describe what happens and the other person says that it's not real. It didn't happen. I'm like, what do you mean? This this is the this is the video that clears him. The hand comes out. It gets in like the, you know, in a, where her elbow is and he pushes her arm down. Oh no, that didn't happen. What do you mean it didn't happen? There it is. It's right there. No, nah, didn't happen. This is a false accusation. What do you mean it's a false ac- It's It's there. It's happening. No, no, no. It's fake. Didn't happen. Wow. Like that's that's more um, that's more confronting to me than any kinds of accusations about racism or Nazism. Sorry, this is more confronting to me than even like uh, Antifa people or uh, you know violence on the streets. This this is more troublesome than just say there was like mass riots and riot cops and people kicking in shop windows and setting fire to things smashing cars on the street that's that's a thing but more concerning than that is coming to the realization that we now live in a time when people can watch a video of something happening and turn to you and be- and say to you that it didn't happen and believe it like they're not gaslighting you they see this and they don't see what you're talking about that's that's the concerning part. That's the problem. I'm loath to bring up um, the Russian. What was his name? The Soviet defector, uh, Bezmenov. Remember Bezmenov? And he said, "No, the ob- the object of um, you know the the object of screwing with the education system and mass disinformation is so people people will become the the subverted people like subversion like ideological subversion you'll get to the point where you can show somebody true information and they will not believe it you will put true information in front of somebody and they won't believe it because they lose the ability to assess what's real and what's not real no, Yakov Shmurnov. <laughs> no, not Yakov Shmurnov. Maybe we'll find. Maybe we'll we'll do a video. Yuri Bezmenov, I think his name is. I'm loath to bring it up because it's so it's so everybody knows it. It's been it's been used so often. But it, it's really it really is like you know when you put the two things together, 
when people are denying the reality of footage that they see right in front of their eyes because it doesn't suit them politically, like you're in a you're in a new step there. You're in a new level of crisis there, and it's the silent crisis. It's not the crisis that has. It's not accompanied by blue and red flashing lights and you know screams or smoke grenades going off or police sirens. It's it's not it's not that kind of a crisis. It's the silent. It's it's the crisis that occurs within the mind of the person that's afflicted. And, that, and that's the most dangerous one. Let's see what we find here. Let's see if we can find a nice, short, sharp little video just to put this in context. That's what tenure gets you, says Derek. <laughs> Brett says it wears off after a decade of poverty. I wish that were true. I think it took about six decades in Eastern Europe, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Checks and balances. The internet is being incredibly slow for some reason, and I have no idea why. Okay, what do we got here? This is painfully slow. All right, this might work. Let's have a little looky. Let's have a little looky here. Incredible. is with Mr. Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmianov. Mr. Bezmianov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti, which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union, it turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the process which is legitimate, overt, and open. You, you can see it with your own eyes. All, all you have to do, all American mass media has to do is to unplug their bananas from their ears, open up their eyes, and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising, probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of, of, of thrillers. But in reality, 
the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, actively мероприятия in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number required to uh, educate one generation in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The uh, demoralization process in the United States in the is 80s, basically Derek, completed already. Uh, Early 80s. For the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a so, they cannot assess authentic information. Even if I show him documents, I show him pictures he will refuse to believe it ladies and gentlemen Acosta should sue the president and Americans should shun Sanders <clears throat> because this incident of putting a hand on this woman did not happen it just didn't happen Press Secretary Sarah Sanders accused Acosta of placing his hands on the intern. In fact, video shows conclusively that the woman tried to grab the microphone from his hands and he held onto it. He didn't put his hand on the girl. Didn't happen. What about the video? You can be exposed to authentic information and he will refuse to believe it. President Trump's conduct violates every democratic norm one can think of. And one, what's more, <clears throat> it's illegal. The First Amendment protects the press's right to report the news and the public's right to receive the news. Well, the first point there is 
nobody stopping Jim Acosta from reporting the news and nobody stopping the public from hearing what Jim Acosta has to say. Just because he doesn't have a White House press pass anymore doesn't mean he's banned from reporting the news. So that's not illegal at all. This is what happens when you get bloggers to uh, write about legal issues and the First Amendment in the Washington Post, ladies and gentlemen. The government cannot punish or threaten the press or individuals based on the content of what is reported. Great. So what? So revoking somebody's press pass is now seen as punishment. Okay, so then I guess everybody is entitled to a press pass. That's their right. Maybe there should be 4 million people who get a press pass from the White House. Because apparently if you deny somebody a press pass, well, you're breaking the law now according to the Washington Post. Like, I can't believe that this was put to print. Where the fuck is the editor? Shouldn't the editor, uh, editor have cast an eye over this and go, hey, we can't put this in our paper. This is ridiculous. This is trash. This is ignorant trash. In fact, in a public forum, which Twitter was deemed to be a federal court already ordered Trump to unblock Twitter users who were critical of him. Ah, okay. So the federal court ordered Trump to unblock Twitter users. Therefore, Jim Acosta has to keep his press pass and nobody has a legal right to stop him from having a press pass. Do you see what's going on here? Do do you see the level of absurdity? And, you know, much as it, as heartbreaking as it may be, people believe this stuff. People think this is real. People think this is accurate information. People think this is real information. People can watch this video and say, no, Jim didn't touch her. And then read this and say, and, you know, believe that it's illegal for the White House to revoke somebody's press pass. That they, that they, there are people walking around right now who think this. And like I said, that's, that's more confronting to me than any, you know, street riot at all. That's more confronting to me than riot cops spraying tear gas at people on the street. That people can see that video and, and believe that what they are actually literally seeing in front of their own eyes did not happen. That, that is a whole new level of perception is reality or unreality, if you prefer to view it that way. Let's carry on. Uh, this is Jim Acosta. I am in front of the White House. Uh, Secret <laughs> Service officer is asking for my hard pass. Uh, obviously, no hard feelings to the officer, uh, but I am now giving my hard pass to the Secret Service. Um, so do you want to take it off the, the lanyard there? Or? Wow. Sure. Help there. Actually, yeah, here. If you could hold that, I don't want to yeah. lose any of that. Sure, sure. To further illustrate the detachment of the liberal media elites, ladies and gentlemen, who do indeed live in a bubble, by the way, you can check out um, my video that I made about Jim Acosta about two months ago called The Complete Deconstruction of Jim Acosta. But to further illustrate, play the sad music. <laughs> 
I was actually going to play Bye Bye Baby, Baby, Bye Bye, you know, the Bay City Rollers, but I didn't get around to it. But to further illustrate this level of detachment, uh, the guy actually thinks it's a good idea to, you know, film the, 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 to film the most emasculating moment in his career. Like, if you ever doubted that the idea that comes from the detached um, liberal left is that victimhood is, you know, the bigger victim you are, you win, here is Exhibit A. This is Exhibit A right here. He is, he is literally filming the, the most humiliating moment of his life. And I said on Twitter, this is the equivalent of a pitcher in a World Series who's just been hit for three home runs in a row taking a selfie with the manager when the manager comes out to take the ball off him. That, that's what this is. The most humiliating moment of your career. I better upload it. I better get it out there. This will, this will prove to everybody that I'm the victim here, right? I mean, it's, it's completely insane. It's detached. It's, it's detached from reality. And it, it, to be fair, it doesn't become hard to understand how people can become so detached from reality when, like we just went through that previous um, Washington Post article, they can literally, they can literally I'm, I'm not, I don't even like the word literally, but I feel I have to use it. They can literally watch the video of Jim Acosta literally putting his hand on the female aide and look you straight in the eye with that cold, dead fish, thousand-yard stare and say to you, no, it didn't happen. That, That is terrifying to me. Terrifying. Because what else are these people capable of ignoring? What unreality are these people capable of creating for themselves? What level of unreality? Do you know why it's terrifying? Do you know why it's dangerous? Because one day, ladies and gentlemen, One day, that level of unreality may lead to somebody kicking down my door and dragging me out in the street and shooting me in the back of the head because they see me as a threat to democracy. That's how these things start. It is, it is not by accident that the former operative from the KGB explained it as such. That's the way it starts. You create unreality. You make it the reality. And then you punish those who don't conform to it. You can say it's sensational. But that's what it is. Someone wanted Barack Obama. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to play. I told you that the civil rights of LGBT... Americans is, yeah, hold on a second, I, I, okay, you know what, no, 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 hey, yeah, listen, you're in my house, you don't start, you don't, no, 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 
Uh, this is the press cheering while another reporter was being kicked out of the White House. You know what? It's not. It's not respectful when you get invited to somebody. You're not. You're not. You're not going to. You're not. You're... He was actually yelling about deportations too. By the way, he was saying how unhappy he was that so many people were being deported, and the press was cheering. They were cheering when he got kicked out. No, 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 shame on you. You shouldn't be doing this. Now the press is chanting Obama, Obama. You can can either stay and, and be quiet or we'll have to take you out. All right. Can we have this person removed, please? Come on. Come on. Come on. No. No. Come on. Come on, guys. I'm just going to wait until we get this done. He's chanting no more deportations, by the way. Uh, what was Jim Acosta talk what was Jim, what was Jim Acosta angry about during his press conference with Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen? You know, the evil tyrant Donald Trump who is attacking the free press at every opportunity. What was Jim Acosta talking about during that exchange? Let's have a little look. Uh, thank you, Mr. President challenge you on, on one of the statements that you made in the tail end of the campaign oh, not, uh, in, in the midterms. That here, this, here we go. That, well, if you Let's don't go. mind, Mr. President, Come on. that this caravan was an invasion. As you know, no, Mr. President, I consider it to be an invasion. As you know, Mr. President, the caravan was not an invasion. It's a, it's a, a group of migrants moving up from Central... So, Sam, you're saying it's not apples with apples. Okay, it's two reporters talking to a president in the White House about immigration and deportation. Like okay, maybe maybe if uh, maybe if Trump was black, it would be a re- it would be a valid comparison for you. But I'm I'm here to tell you this is about as good as it gets, right? So you know, saying oh, it's not a valid comparison. I'm sorry, it's it's about as valid as it gets, my friend. It's about as valid as it gets. I spoke about why the caravans are not in the news anymore, but it's still happening. It's still they're still coming up. They're still walking up to the border. Do you, do you think it was imaginary? Like that is that is some serious fake news. Then, if the whole thing is imaginary, because the reason it was a fucking issue to start with was because of all the all the footage and all the interviews of mothers and children and people walking up. I just want a job. I'm not evil. So if if it wasn't a thing, if it if it's not really happening, if it's not a real story, then why the fuck were the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, and all of the other left wing outlets putting it on the news? Why? So they could turn around and call Donald Trump a racist for not letting them in. That's why. So it's not fake, it's not imaginary, it's not, it's not make-believe, it's not a, an election ploy, unless, of course, you know, everybody on the left wanted to get Donald Trump elected again somehow. But whether or not uh, you call it an invasion, see, this is the problem. Jim Acosta likes to present himself as a reporter. He's not a reporter. He's an opinion journalist.
his opinion on what America an invasion is is not with relevant. The US. Thank you for telling and me that. I uh, why, why did you why did you characterize it as such? Uh, because and, I consider it an invasion. You and I have a difference of opinion. But do you think that you demonized immigrants not in this all. election? No, not to at try all. To I want keep... them. I want them to come into the country, Jim, but they Jim. have to come in legally. You know, they have to come in, Jim, through a process. I want it to be a process, and I want people to come in, and we need right. the people. You your, know, campaign, wait, your campaign. Your campaign. Wait. You know why we need the people, don't you? Because we have hundreds of companies moving. In. <laughs> I love that. I Your love campaign that. had an ad showing migrants climbing over walls and well, so on. It, poor, it but they it, weren't actors. They're not going to be doing. <laughs> Do you think they were actors? They weren't actors. They didn't come from Hollywood. They weren't actors. These were. There's a, these there's were a woman people. in the front this here who can't actual... stop herself from laughing. She yeah, loves it. It happened a few days ago. She, we would never admit it and, to her uh, colleagues, but she loves away, it. There are hundreds. She loves these reactions. You know that, that's I not an invasion. Should, honestly, I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. All right. <laughs> look at that. Look at that smile. If I may ask another question, Mr. President, if I may ask another question, are you worried? That's enough. That's enough. Mr. President, that's enough. I was going to ask one of the other folks. That's enough. Enough. Pardon me, ma'am. Excuse President, me. That's enough. Mr. President, I had one other Peter, question, if I may ask, on, on the Russia investigation. Are you concerned that that you may have I'm not concerned about anything with you the may have Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you, that's enough. Put down the mic. Mr. President, are you worried about indictments coming down in this investigation? Mr. President. I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, <laughs> terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN. Go ahead. I, I think that's unfair. You're a very rude person. The way you treat Sarah Huckabee is horrible. And the way you treat other people are horrible. You shouldn't treat people that way. Go ahead. In, in, go in ahead, Jim, Peter. Go in, ahead. In Jim's defense, I've traveled with him and watched him. He's a diligent reporter who busts his Well, I'm not a big fan of yours either. That was the best. That was the best line. <laughs> In Jim's defense, he's a he's a diligent, hardworking reporter who busts his butt. Yeah, well, I'm not a big fan of yours either. So. <laughs> the best, Jerry. The best. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Uh, let's have a little. Let's have a little look at Jim. Come on. The White House is suspending CNN chief White House correspondent Jim Acosta's press pass until further notice. The word came down hours after Acosta asked the president questions at the news conference this afternoon. Jim joins us now. So take us through what's going on. Oh, here we go. We've got reloadings. Reloading issues. Uh, yeah, I, I went back to the White House actually to do a, a live shot for your program. Uh, just before eight o'clock, and when I arrived at the gate, the Secret Service came oh. out and informed me. Uh, that my press credentials uh, were being, uh, I guess, revoked temporarily. I, I guess revoked. And, what do you mean, you uh, guess? Secret Service officer <laughs> came over to me. <laughs> when the Secret Service comes out and asks you for your press credentials, that there's no guessing there. That happened, Jim. Jim, I'm sorry. Jim. Jim. Jimbo. Jimmy boy. Hear me. Hear me now and hear me well, my friend. Your press credentials have gone to hell, brother. I guess they were revoking my press credentials. What else could it be, Jim? They said, give us your press credentials. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't asking you for a fucking haircut, lad. But see, this is, why, why, does Jim Acosta, why, why does Jim Acosta get to call himself part of the press and then act like he's better than the rest of the press? That's the most offensive thing to me. Everybody else in that press room knows the way to act, except for Jim Acosta. 
everybody else knows that they get a question and maybe a follow-up. Everybody else knows that there's a certain decorum, there's a certain uh, ethics that is involved. Jim Acosta sits at the front of the room, stands up, refuses to hand over a microphone, and, and he talks over the president. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Jim. Like, this is this is just the brutal reality. And, you know, Sam was saying before, oh, well, if it, maybe you shouldn't be calling them fake news. Too fucking bad. Like, this is this is your job as a reporter. This is the problem. Like, you you can ask your question. If the president wants to talk over you and give an answer and then say, okay, that's it, sit down, move on, that's what you do. Like, it's not, it's not up for Jim Acosta. It's not up for CNN to decide, like, what, how the president is supposed to treat reporters at a press conference. It's just not the way it's done. Like, you, you don't, he is above you on the totem pole. He is above you in the food chain. If the president only wants to answer one question that you give him, then that's all you, you don't get to stand there and go, Mr. Br no, no, and then push the person away when they're trying to take the microphone away. You don't get that level of entitlement. You're not that good. You're not that special. You're not a special, yeah, I'm going to use a fight club line. You are not a special or unique snowflake. You are the, you are the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. Right? You're not special, Jim. You don't get special privileges. Nobody cares. He doesn't care that you work for C. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. If the president says, no, that's enough, sit down, then you shut your fucking mouth and you sit down. But then, you know, like he stands there, he carries on, he keeps trying to ask more questions, he pushes the, the girl away, he refuses to sit down, and but then claims to be the victim. It's absurd. Like, it's, it's not offensive. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. I think it's fantastic that the rest of the, you know, his co- not even, I don't, I don't even think the rest of the media likes him particularly because he's a limelight hog. If you go to the video that uh, we made called The Complete Deconstruction of Jim Acosta, I explained in it, you know, CNN has made the news about themselves. I wonder if I, you know, I, I'm not, I, for me, everything's on the table here. Always consider all options. Who here thinks that there is a big possibility that Jim Acosta was, he probes the way he does in order to get on the news and then report that the Donald, that Donald Trump hates the press. Like, do you think he's trying to deliberately portray Donald Trump as someone who is an enemy of the press because he calls them the enemy of the people, right? So what would be a good way of doing... Like, why else would he film himself being revoked of his press credentials? Why else would he do that? No, CNN is in cahoots with Trump. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> you say, come on. You know, that's, that's, too, that's a bridge too far. That's a bridge too far for me. CNN is not in cahoots with Trump. And, and unless I get some... Like, just the fact that they get good ratings out of showing Donald Trump doesn't necessarily portray to me that CNN is somehow, like, in a like there's, there's a cabal between CNN and Trump, and, you know, they're working together. The f I think the reason that CNN gets good ratings out of Trump is because people want to watch Trump, not because they're watching CNN. Like, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. I've heard, that, I've heard that theory floating around before. And it was one of the most laughable things I think I've ever fucking heard in my life. People were saying, oh, Jim Acosta has been hired by Donald Trump to expose the fake news. It's like, please, come on, guys. 
Like, you know, see, Jim Acosta's career did not begin in 2016. CNN has not been lying. Like, the, the corporate media has not been lying to people only for the last two years. That's insane. That's insane. He does mention MSNBC. He, what Have you forgotten about uh, Joe Scarborough? Have you forgotten about Mika Brzezinski? Like, he talks about them all the time. But Jim Acosta makes it a point of making himself the focal point. Like I said, he sits in the front row. He stands up. He refuses to sit down. You think it's probable that CNN is working with Trump? I think that's insane, my friend. I think that's. I think that is insane. Like that is way out there. <laughs> I don't see any evidence for CNN working with Trump at all. But let's carry on. Me and asked me to uh, hand over my credential, and I did. And I told him, I said, "Listen, I know you're a professional. You're just doing your job." Uh, and uh, thanks for your service. And handed him my a credential I've had for five years. Um, I want to read a reaction from a few of your colleagues covering uh, the White House. Jeff Mason uh, from Reuters just tweeted, I was seated next to Acosta at today's press conference and did not witness him placing his hands, that's in quotes, wow. on the intern, as the White House alleges. He held onto the microphone as she reached for him. Wow. The New York Times tweeted, false predicate to punish a reporter. This is what the president wants. If he really thought at Acosta was unfair, then why did he? Wow, false predicate to punish a reporter. It didn't happen. It didn't happen, ladies and gentlemen. The video that anybody can see at any time. We are we are at peak fake news. This this could be the hill they die on. I'm just putting that out there. Like you know how, you know I think I think there's a tendency for those of us who engage in these conversations to fall into the same traps that those who, you know, the people that come out every week and say, oh, this is it for Donald Trump. It's over now. There's no coming back from this. There's absolutely no way that Donald Trump can recover from this. I think there is a trap for us to do the same thing with the corporate press. I think there's a trap. I think we have a habit of going, oh, this is, this is, this is about as bad as it gets. This is, this is peak stupidity. This is peak fake news. It'll never get this bad ever again. And of course, it just keeps the machine keeps rolling on because, I mean, as we discussed earlier, people now have the ability to watch footage right in front of their eyes and tell you straight to your face that it did not happen. <laughs> These are not the droids you're looking for, exactly, Tom. But is is this it? Is this the one? Is this the moment? Is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? I don't know. You tell me. Tell me what you think. Like this is this is more than just like a little creative writing. This is more than a little bit of word manipulation. This is more overt. This is more obscene. This is more offensive than just about anything I've seen. This is this is not like, you know, putting in a word, you know, like we talked about it and I'll refer back to the video again. Uh, Jim Acosta in one of his reports, quote-unquote report, says, it seems like there was a cloud of chaos hanging over the White House today as Donald Trump attacked Robert Mueller. But, of course, you know, if you're a reporter, then you wouldn't say it seemed like there was a cloud of chaos hanging over the White House because that's not what a reporter does. That's an opinion. That's editorialising. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about things like, quote-unquote, fake news those kinds of injections and because it's all about leaving a certain inference on the audience. Now that's one thing. That's that's subtle. That's subtle. That's 
that's that's almost sophisticated. It's not sophisticated to someone like me. It's not sophisticated to someone like Tom. Who for us that's what that's what we see more than anything. Like we don't we don't hear the the cloud of chaos over the White House. We hear the manipulation. Right, bang, smacks you in the face because your brain is wired that way. You're you're, you're trained to look for those kinds of tells. Right. But that's one thing, like, you can understand why people would watch a report like that and go, wow, the White House was in chaos today. Because that's just the way it's, it's scripted. That's the way it's, it's put together. It's very subtle and it's very effective. But this, this on the other hand, to, to have the ability to watch a piece of footage, ladies and gentlemen, and then sit there and say that it did not happen. Like, it did not happen. I was sitting next to Jim Acosta. It didn't happen. No. When the whole world can see it. That's that's beyond. I like I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even know how to address it. It's possibly the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Anyway, let's carry on. Calling him because he wants the confrontation. Maggie Haberman tweeting Acosta, who the White House is alleging, quote, placed his hands on the young intern, said, quote, pardon me, ma'am, uh, as he tried to ask his question. Um, also- <laughs> Maggie Haberman. The White House is alleging he placed his hands on the young intern. He said, pardon me, ma'am, as he tried to ask his question. That's fair. Next time I punch someone in the face, I'm going to say, excuse me, sir. And then, hey, it fucking didn't happen. Didn't happen. I don't care about the video. Didn't happen. What do you know? Absolutely incredible. Incredible stuff. Let's skip ahead here. Talib and Omar are the first Muslim women elected to Congress. They're also so much more. This is a puff piece. Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar are the two are two powerful political forces to be reckoned with. Two Muslim women won their house races in Midwest districts. Democratic candidate Rashida Tlaib was elected in Michigan without opposition. Nobody ran against her to replace Representative John Conyers, who stepped down after facing sexual harassment allegations. So the Republican Party, the, 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 the RNC, ladies and gentlemen, if, if uh, you know what, uh, most of you guys are Republicans, I want you to consider this. Don't be angry at the Democrats when, uh, a Demo- when a Democrat representative can step down after facing sexual harassment allegations and the Democrats can run a candidate in that district unopposed, like no Republican was running against her, that's on you. That's on the Republican Party. That's not on the Democrats. You should be writing to the RNC going, what the fuck were you guys doing? So what, you don't even think it's worthwhile running a candidate in, a, in an open seat where the previous guy stepped down because of sexual harassment? Like you could put a fucking peanut in there and it would get 20% of the vote. A tin of spam would get 35% of the vote. The Republicans are like, ah, it's not worth it. An open seat where the previous representative stepped down for sexual harassment. And the Democrats won it. And you're like, oh, fuck the Democrats. Really? Fuck the Democrats? How about fuck the GOP on that one? 
Just putting that out there. Sorry. That's weak. That's weak sauce. That's weak as piss. Oh, we're not even going to run someone. <laughs> wow. Upon her victory, Omar congratulated Tlaib on Twitter, expressing her solidarity with her, quote, sister and excitement to serve in Congress together. Congratulations to my sister, Rashida Tlaib, on your victory. I cannot wait to serve with you, inshallah. That's very, very heartwarming stuff. Uh, this is the woman that was elected in Minnesota. Uh, on the good, on the on the upside, we don't, we no longer have to um, accuse Donald Trump of anti-Semitism. This lovely young lady tweeted herself: uh, "Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel." Congratulations, Minnesota! Congratulations, Minnesota, on your progress. You have now elected somebody who will stand against the bigotry and the anti-Semitism of Donald Trump. Well done. You should be very happy. It's a very, very progressive move by the, by the good people <laughs> of Minnesota. Well done. Well done. What we can't have is anti-Semitism in the halls of power and somebody must be elected to stand against that bigot Donald Trump before somebody else plays with their minds or something. I thought this was interesting for one particular reason, which will be obvious. The 2018 midterms were huge for women candidates. In Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn became the state's first woman senator. Over in Massachusetts, Ayanna Presley is the first African-American woman elected to the House from any state in New England. In Maine, voters chose Janet Mills to be the state's first woman governor. Sharice Davids and Deb Holland became the first Native American women elected to Congress. A total of 273 women were on the ballot in the 2018 midterms, representing both parties. Now compare that to the past five elections. That's a big jump in women candidates vying for office. So women must be pretty well represented in the US government now, right? Not exactly. The share of women in the House and Senate has increased over time but it's still well below the share of women in the U.S. population. Ah, okay. And if you dig deeper, Congress looks even less representative. Women of color make up 18% of the U.S. population. But before the 2018 midterms, they accounted for just 7% of Congress. And LGBT women make up about 2.5% of the U.S. population. But there are only two openly LGBT women in Congress. That's less than 1%. Okay. Even with the recent wins by women candidates in the 2018 midterms, there's still a long way to go before they're fully represented. And this underrepresentation can have very real policy consequences. Ah, uh, okay. Um, is everyone forgetting here that people actually have to be elected? Right? Like, this is, this is always my first thought when people say, we need more female representation in politics. I'm like, okay. So run for office then. Oh, no, the system's unfair. What, voting? <laughs> Democracy's unfair now, is it? The system is geared against women. The system keeps women and people of colour and minorities out, does it? Okay. 
then so what do we do away with voting now maybe we shouldn't vote maybe we should just nominate maybe it should be like for the case of america what is what's the white population in america now about 63 percent so if we want okay we want you know accurate representations of the demographics we should have 63 percent of people in the halls of power should be white about 15% of people should be black, uh, 20 something, 30% of people should be Hispanic. Oh, and by the way, half of those people should be probably children, the elderly, the mentally ill, uh, convicted felons, uh, illegal immigrants, like th- I don't know how many millions of illegal immigrants there are. They should have some people in Congress as well, right? There should be maybe two or three midgets as well in there. We'll have to adjust the podiums though, because that would be very offensive. Um, you know, a certain amount of veterans should be in there, right? Is this is this what we're is this the aim? I don't, that's okay if that's the aim, if that's what you want. Then of course you have to remove choice from people. <clears throat> if you if you want to ensure a certain amount of representation in governance then you're going to have to remove the ability for people to choose who governs them unfortunately see because i always love like the twist the twist is always like oh we need more equal representation in order to preserve democracy i'm like yes of course but the only way to have quote unquote equal representation is to remove democracy because you can't you can't force people to vote for who they don't want even if you really 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 want them Tom Chatelet, the mentally ill are overly represented in liberal politics, almost 100%. (laughs) I do mean little people, yes. Circus workers are in there as well. But do do you see my point here? So there should be an accurate representation demographically of people in office. I'm like, okay. So how do we ensure that? Well, the only way to ensure that is to stop people from voting for people who aren't fitting into the quota that you need in order to have an accurate demographic representation of people in office. Sorry. Sorry. Except for that, the only other way is to try and guilt and shame people into it, which is kind of counterproductive because then they just end up hating you for being race baiters or, you know, trying to create gender warfare or identity politics. And people, you know, Increasingly, people are getting a little fed up with identity politics. So I guess once that fails, the only other option is to remove choice from them, which would be a wonderful thing. I mean, for example, just for the women, speaking for the women, if I can, if I may, um, you know, once I, I believe, I believe the whole point of feminism was to give women more choice, and now it seems that uh, the point of feminism is to remove choices from people. So. Take a look at this chart, showing what 2018 congressional candidates spent time talking about. Women were much more likely than men to discuss issues like education, climate change, and minimum wage. Uh. There's even evidence that women make better lawmakers. One study found that female lawmakers bring in 9% more federal spending for their constituents than their male counterparts. (laughs) And that's on top of the fact that women lawmakers... I mean, do you see the? Do you see what's happening here? So, 
there's evidence that women make better lawmakers. Oh, okay, what's the evidence? Well, the evidence is the women bring in 9% more federal bu- federal spending, federal money. What? <laughs> That's the evidence? Well, I guess I guess if spending other people's money makes you a quote-unquote better lawmaker, then the socialists win. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know. I'll be an even better lawmaker than the women. I'll bring I'll bring in twenty percent of federal spending. Ah, oh, fuck! How are we going to top this guy? I know. I'll bring in thirty five percent, and then even I'll be better than the women. And then the little people wander in and say, "I will give one hundred percent increases in federal spending." And then the little people finally get their moment of being bigger than the fully growns, bigger in heart. More heart, more stature. The evidence, the, the evidence that women are better lawmakers is they spend more of other people's money. Who would have thunk it? Like um, guys in the audience, next time your wife uh, takes your credit card and goes and buys a bunch of dresses and shoes and shit that you don't need, just remember she's better. She's a better law. <laughs> she's a better lawmaker. <laughs> She is very skilled at spending the money of men who work to get the money. Oh, did he just make a sexist joke? I think he made a sexist joke. I, I always hated this Aussie guy making sexist jokes. Fuck him. I hate him now. <laughs> very good at spending the money men make. <laughs> Let's elect all the women. I didn't, I didn't need a new truck. No. <laughs> What's the most important thing to me, dear, is that you get those stilettos that you've had your eye on. <laughs> Sorry. Sponsor more bills than male legislators. This success might actually help explain why women are less likely to run for office oh, than men really? in the first place. Many women underestimate their qualifications and perceive gender bias among voters, which discourages them from running. Because of these hurdles, only the most talented and ambitious women seek office. Oh, what a what a <laughs> what a what a horrible state of affairs. Oh no. <laughs> Do you want to hear it again? <laughs> I'll play it for you again if you missed it. If you missed it. What is what is the problem? <laughs> My God, my God. What we don't want is the most accomplished and talented women running for office. (laughs) Go on. One more time. One more time. Underestimate their qualifications and perceive gender bias among voters, which discourages them from running. Because of these hurdles, only the most talented and ambitious women seek office. Ah, the (laughs) hurdles. <laughs> who would have thought that the hurdles to w- literally who would have thought that the hurdles to winning office to a position of power where you can have control over other people's lives would be so high who would have thought i <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> I remember reading it was a it was an article in the New York Times and it was about um, Stacey Abrams, right? Uh, the woman running for uh, is she running for the Senate? I forget now. Is it it's the Senate or Governor? I think it's the Governor of Georgia against the Kemp fellow. And it was an interview and 
and it was entitled um, Stacey Abrams talks about you know her struggle becoming the first black woman elected to the the office in Georgia and you know I did that thing that I do on Twitter and I quoted it and I put breaking um, getting elected to be getting elected to the governor's office is hard woman explains you know like, <laughs> no one said it's supposed to be fucking easy she explains how hard it is becoming governor yeah no shit of course it's hard it's supposed to be hard you know why because we don't want shit people doing it like being a politician is a hard job i know a lot of people like a lot of politicians appear to really suck at their job but it's not supposed to be easy and and then this video is like oh only the most talented and accomplished women run for office and that's bad it's like really Really? <laughs> yeah. I think Sam said it before. No, we we need more underqualified lazy women to run for office. That's what we need. Why not? <laughs> we're, we're at peak insanity now. We are at peak insanity. Um, maybe we'll just play a couple of minutes of this. I really like this guy's videos. So we'll see how far this takes us and then we'll get to your stuff. Now, the, the real answer in the end to a lot of what's happening, and here's, here's the really unpopular part with the left. The left destroyed traditional mores with regard to relations between the sexes. Destroyed them wholesale. So the original idea was that men were supposed to act with honor and chivalry in protecting women, and women were supposed to look for, for example, relationships just as men were. Sexual activity was supposed to be confined, this was at least the ideal, was supposed to be confined to committed relationships, particularly marriage. Not everybody lived up to that, but a huge number of people did. In fact, once people got pregnant, people basically got married. There are studies from the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s shows an awful lot of seven-month marriage babies, right? People who are sleeping together, getting pregnant, and then the couple gets married. When you don't teach men to protect women, you get men who will victimize women. And when you don't teach women that they ought to cherish men who are responsible and good, all you end up doing is incentivizing bad male behavior. Yeah, look, I'm not, a, I'm not a big not fan of Shapiro either, but the video like isn't Shapiro. We're wrong when that's they said women also saying, ought to act like pigs, And, and it's not all about Shapiro, problem. like it changes because in a minute or two. So. Because now what's happened is they got rid of all the traditional mores. This, this, this um, YouTube account clips clips things together to make arguments. Except, except when it comes to actual sexual assault, we treat that differently than any other bodily function, obviously. But that, that's the problem, right? So they, they create the standard where sex is basically a throwaway item, sort of like eating. And then we treat sex very differently when it comes to what we all know it is, which is a deeply important and intimate part of a person's life. And then we attempt to backdoor standards of consent that, frankly, don't make any sense in a real-life context. So you get college campuses in California saying that what you need is a yes-means-yes yes standard. So, uh, this, is, this is where women really gave up on marriage a lot too soon. Okay, marriage was the best thing ever for women. It is an amazing, th it's a, an amazing thing for men too because it civilizes them, it cultures them, it teaches them to be protectors of their family and to take care of people and to think beyond themselves and to think beyond their generation. Women gave up in marriage a way to teach men to do those things. And also, women gave up the idea that a commitment was going to come along with this intimacy 
And let's be real about this. I mean, every scientific study ever done has shown that women actually do have better sex in the context of committed relationships. All of the crap that you see in Cosmo magazine about sleeping with 100 guys and being sexually happy is just garbage. It is just sheer, unadulterated garbage. So, I don't know, long answer to a short question, but reinculcation of traditional roles of male and female with the same feminist respect that we ought to have for women at all steps of the process is the answer. new ever since the advent of Photoshop we've all been warned about the dangers of airbrushing or using waste trainers or even just the difference a little change in lighting can make Ta-da! One more thing to take note of as well. Scientists think that it's possible that women who are already a little bit insecure may be drawn to this type of social media. Body image and the internet. Now, how we view ourselves is massively important for our well-being. Having a positive view of oneself, regardless of our only human flaws, is good for our health. But in 2018, we're bombarded with images of beauty and perfection. And because human beings aren't that bright, we bring lots of these damaging ideas into our lives by the choices we make on social media. Sam asks, why does this stuff never get discussed in terms of women working now, not at home? That's a great question. You know, I'm, I would argue that <clears throat> a few things. One, one thing is, um, you know, if, if we look at uh, liberation purely objectively, then here's, here's one thing to consider. And I've made this point before. People who used to watch me like a year ago have probably heard this already. But for those who haven't, I'll repeat it. Um, the sexual liberation of women has uh, it, one of the uh, side effects of that means that men no longer have to work so hard. It, it, it means that women are now settling for shitty men. Once upon a time, if you were a man, in order to see a breast, you would have to court the woman. You would have to charm her. You would have to meet the family. You would have to have a good job. You would have to be stable, right? Now you can just jump on an app, an app and flick left or right. Like, you know, we've got you know, wise abortion, a thing. So you've got broken families, broken homes. Um, if women are upset that men aren't treating them as well, then one possible explanation for that might be the fact that men don't have to work as hard to get the women as they used to. Once upon a time, you know, you'd, you'd, have, to, you'd have to basically be married before you saw a tit. Now you you can get, you can jump on an app and you can have pussy today. Like you can have pussy in an hour. 
any any guy here can get laid within two hours. Literally. Anyone. Anyone. Now, is that a net positive for society? I'm not sure. But if women are upset that um, men aren't treated... If, if women are upset that men are treating them like objects, then perhaps, perhaps a reason for that is the quote-unquote liberation of women, which... In, which removed um, the perception around women that they are like a prize to be won and instead turned them into objects to be had. And of course, you know, the mirror argument will be, oh, no, women were objects to be had because, you know, they, they, were, they had to be stuck at home and they didn't get this and that, which is, you know, that's okay, that's fair enough, but... Explain to me why, um, you know, explain to me why men don't try as hard to be a good guy anymore. Like I said, once upon a time, you had to meet the father, you had to meet the family, you had to have a good job, you had to be reliable. Because, of course, if you get it wrong and you fuck up, uh, you're in for a world of pain for the rest of your life, possibly. And people didn't want to make that mistake. Now, now you know. Now, such concerns aren't, don't necessarily exist. And of course, like you'd have to be an idiot to assume that the sexual liberation of women wouldn't change male behaviour. Of course, it would change male behaviour. Of course, it does. What you think? You think you can fundamentally change um, the role of women in society and have that not affect what the men do? You're insane. If you fundamentally change the, you know, if you liberate the sexuality of women, then you're going to change the sexuality of men because men have sex with women. Sorry. I, I know that might be offensive now, but of course it changes the other, it changes everything. Now, you can argue the good and bad, the pros and cons, that's fine. Like, but all I'm saying is once upon a time, men had to look, work a lot harder to have sex than they do now. They had to be. They had to make something of themselves. They had to be presentable. They had to look after them. Had, like I said, they had to have a job. They had to be. They had to impress the family. They had to court you for a long time. You really get to know people for a long time. <clears throat> so, but that doesn't exist anymore. The other issue about uh, women working and not being at home, well. Sam was asking, well, I would argue, and I'm not the first person to argue it, so I'm not going to take credit for this position, but I will, you know, respectfully put forward to the lovely ladies in the audience that uh, you were sold a dream of liberation, but you instead were marched into wage slavery. So once upon a time that wasn't even that long ago, uh, people were, people are still alive today who can remember this, a lot of people. They can remember a time when a family could support uh, one one wage could support a wife, three kids, a car, and a house. <clears throat> remember that. So, what the big capitalists wanted, what the big business owners wanted. So the left wanted female liberation for their own ideological reasons. This is a, this is the, the exact same argument I've made with immigration. The left wanted uh, the left want mass immigration for ideological reasons, and the right want mass immigration for business reasons. 
So with the immigration debate, the right want mass immigration, and we're talking about the, the establishment right, okay, and the establishment left. So the establishment right want mass immigration because they need consumers. They need to fuel perpetual growth. They need consumers. They need people buying things. They need money going through the tills. The establishment left want mass, mass immigration because they need voters. They need to fundamentally shift the culture of the society because they're whacked out cultural identitarians. At least with the establishment right, it's about money. With the establishment left, it's kind of a utopian circle jerk where they think, you know, everybody is going to be devoid of culture to the point where we can all live in harmony and everything's going to be great. That's that's crazy. At least with the right, I, I understand uh, the politics of money. I don't understand the politics of, you know, diminishing the entirety of human history to prevent, to, pre, to you know, pre, pretend that um, cultures don't matter all of a sudden. That doesn't make any sense to me. But they need consumers on the right. But see, similar things affect uh, are conducive to the sexual liberation argument. So uh, on the left, it was for ideological reasons. We need to destroy the family. We need to, you know, attack Christianity, blah, blah, blah. Women are slaves. They're prisoners. We need, you know, we need to ideologically shift. It was literally called the culture war. It was in, in the 1960s. The culture war. That's what it was called. Sorry. If you think it's not about culture, then you don't call it the culture war if it's not about culture. But on the right, what they were able to do is, you know, essentially double the workforce. So once upon a time where you were were able to support a wife, three kids, a house and a car on one wage because people were getting paid more relative in relative terms than what they are today. So your money went further. Things were cheaper. Why? Because there's less people working. If there's less people working, there's more competitions for jobs. If there's more competition for jobs, employers have to pay you more. If you instantaneously double the workforce, the same thing applies in the immigration debate. If you add to the workforce, you can suppress wages. If you can suppress wages, you don't have to pay as much. You keep more of the money. I mean, it's worth considering. Because, you know, when feminists talk about, oh, women are free now to do what they want, I'm like, are you really? Okay, if you're free now, why does both the man and the woman have to work while the kid rots away in daycare? Oh, we can't afford to pay the bills unless I work too. Is that freedom? So, so let me get this right. You once lived in a time and age, I'm asking the feminists here, you once lived in a time and age where men would bend over backwards, make sure they had a good job and prove that they are good providers for you, right? In order to win your your sexual gift. That's what men used to do. Now they look at you on Tinder and go, nut, slag, nut, ugly, nut, fat, nut, nut, nut. So you used to have uh, men fighting over you and now you're fighting over the men, okay? So you used to have that. And you said, no, this is no good. We don't want this. So you you had to be liberated from those chains of oppression. And then on top of that, you said, no, I want freedom to go out and work and earn a living and all of that kind of stuff, which is fine, okay? You want freedom. So you wanted the freedom to go out and work. If you are now free, if you are out there and working and you are now free, what happens if you don't work for a couple of years? Can you afford to pay the house off now? 
can can you afford to do what you like now? Were you more free then or are you more free now? Now that both of you absolutely must have to work, now there, now there is no option for you to stay at home a lot of the time because people aren't earning as much as they used to relative to how much things cost now. Once upon a time, one wage was enough for, you know, the wife and three kids to be at home, pay off the car, pay off the house. Now, two wages is barely enough for a couple and one child to rent a car and rent an apartment. And if you don't work, what happens then? Are you really free now? Like, welcome, welcome to freedom? Maybe. Maybe not. If you're a young woman and partake in that soul-destroying yet peculiarly addictive behaviour that is comparison, then the internet is your best friend. Just look at all these women who exercised, ate right and shabam, the perfect body, the perfect life. Wait, hang on a minute. Could all this fruitless comparison be, <gasps> gasp, doing some damage? The more exposure to uh, social media platforms such as uh, Facebook, Instagram and Pinterest, uh, then the more that affected uh, three of our factors, which were um, you know, thin idealization, uh, objectified body image, which is the way in which people um, you know, see themselves, uh, and exercise motivation, motivation to exercise purely for the purposes of uh, trying to uh, be slim. Martin Graff's research not only reaffirmed what we already knew, that social media can contribute to body image issues, but also that the amount of time we spend matters. Women who spent over an hour a day on social media were, in his findings, worse off. Social media is a kind of different medium in as much as um, it's not like TV. Um, we've seen our friends um, doing things, so it, it's a kind of more real exposure to things, if you like. There is a small but growing amount of clapback, like this from Sia Alexis Cooper, or Diary of a Fit Mommy. She's built a career from her 1.2 million followers, but she decided to get a little real with this photo, <laughs> telling her This is why, this is, Tom will, Tom will appreciate this because he knows what I'm talking about. This is why I always laugh when um, editorials in like, say, Salon or Slate and etc., come out and say that the internet is a male-dominated um, space. Because <laughs> Diary of a Fit Mummy, where she paints her own architectural uh, designs on her for her future plastic surgeries, is like a fucking megastar. <laughs> if the internet was dominated purely by males, there would be more hammers. There would be more auto parts, like <laughs> instead of mummy bloggers. Every mummy blogger would be replaced with some kind of geeky tech thing or a Star Wars or Star Trek website. You know what I mean? Like that that would be the internet dominated by men. It would be wall-to-wall -wall Star Trek and porn and fast food <laughs> and tools and cars and shit. But that's not what the internet is. The, the internet is like overwhelmingly geared towards women. Why? Because women spend money. The internet is just another avenue to a marketplace. 
All right. We've fuddied around long enough. Let's get to your stuff. I thought that was an interesting video. Jason A, his name is. It's not over. There's more of it, but we've got other things to do. So, your stuff. Thanks for sending it in, by the way. I always appreciate the stuff you guys send in. Thanks to Kimmy. We did touch on the um, the thing. I, I can't read. Steph, I know you're in the chat. I can't read 78 pages of a legal document, I'm afraid. That would be that would be the end of me. <laughs> <laughs> China's state-run press agency has created an AI anchor. I've been looking forward to this. Looking forward to this. Yeah, maybe maybe the tools maybe the tools on the internet, if it was a male-dominated space, would be um, chaperoned by attractive blondes. Okay, we can we can put it that way. That'd be that's fine. Xinhua's first English AI anchor makes a debut. Fantastic. China's state-run press agency has created an AI anchor to read the news. My first thought uh, upon reading that, I don't pre-read what you guys send me, but my first thought in reading that is, um, you know how everyone really knows that by the time we see technology, it's already like three or four generations minimum ahead of what we see? You know, like the like the first microwave oven that we got back in the 1960s or something, maybe the 70s. I think it was the late 60s, the first microwave oven. We know that um, government agencies and stuff had already been tooling around with microwaves for at least 20 years by that time. How about Hanging Chad, Florida Man? (laughs) Hashtag Florida Man. So... Like, how do we know this is a, this is a serious question? How do we know Don Lemon isn't an AI anchor, right? Like, how how do we know? How do we know that Brian Stelter is a real person? Can anybody prove it? Seriously, se- serious question. Because if China is now running out the AI anchor, who's to say? Maybe America has had an AI anchor for like generations already. Like how far, maybe Dan Rather was an AI anchor. Who fucking knows? <laughs> Mate, maybe Don Lemon is is an AI program and not a real person. Ser- seriously, think about it. Who knows? See you, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Because he cries. Yeah, but you can make a robot cry. Hello, everyone. I'm an English artificial intelligence anchor. I mean, it's very stelter-esque. agency, my voice and appearance are modeled on Zhang Zhao, a real anchor with Xinhua. Maybe I am too. The media Sam, say Sam's getting it. Tom's onto it as well. <laughs> the international advanced technologies. Derek. <laughs> I will work tirelessly to keep you informed as texts will be typed into my system uninterrupted. I look forward to bringing you the brand new news experiences. Yep. The AI anchor. Um, I didn't, I don't pre-watch the, I don't pre-read the clips that you send me. I don't pre-watch the videos. But when I saw the headline, I did think of this. This is the DJ3000. It plays CDs automatically, and it has three distinct varieties of inane chatter. Hey, hey, how about that weather out there? Whoa. That was the caller from hell. <laughs> well, hot dog. We, we have, have a, a wiener. wiener. Man, that thing's great. Don't 
praise the machine. If you don't get that kid an elephant by tomorrow, the DJ3000 gets... Word to the wise, Brian Stelter. Word to the wise, AI aficionados. Don't praise the machine. You have been warned. Brian, another fuck up. And the Newsbot 3000 gets your job. It has three kinds of inane chatter. Hey, hey, Donald Trump is a racist. Hey, hey, Donald Trump hates the free press. Hey, hey, this is reliable sources. All right. <laughs> I know it's cheap. I know it was bad. Trust me. Man, 69, who, who identifies as 20 years younger, begins legal battle. <laughs> this will be good. <laughs> Yeah, Sinsoak says, I'd rather have AI anchors just read the news and keep opinions out of it, but they'll program the AI anchors to put their opinions out there. You, you know that, right? Like, I'm not going to spend, you know, trillions of dollars on AI anchors to only have them read facts. What's the point? I may, I may as well hire an idiot to do that. You know, I may, I may as well hire Dropkick and just read facts. Today, the president came out and said he didn't do nothing about Russia. That's a fact. He's just reading the facts. If I spend all that money on an AI bot, I want that fucking thing to be like propaganda to the hilt, man. I want the AI bot to be so sophisticated in the art of propaganda that Goebbels himself would stand up and praise the machine. Goebbels would stand up and clap and go, wow. I could never, but like it needs to be like the meeting of uh, Kasparov versus Deep Blue in chess terms. You know, the, the, the best chess player of all time lost to the computer. It needs to be Goebbels versus AI bot. And the AI bot like just comes up with the most sophisticated propaganda that man's ever seen. And then all propaganda will be subcontracted to the AI bots. That's, that's what it's got to be. Otherwise, what's the point in having the thing? We have adequate. We have we have adequate average news readers now. Like I'm not spending billions and dollars, billions of dollars on an adequate average news reader. Twenty years from now, I'll just hire Brian Stelter again. You know, hey Brian, you got a new contract. The AI bot isn't up to scratch. Man, 69, who identifies as 20 years younger, begins legal battle to change age. We knew this was coming. We knew it. Remember that story. Remember the story we read about uh, New York and New York was changing the laws. Like, we fucking did a video on this, like, what, a month ago? Come on, who, who was here for that video that we did about New York changing the law so you can change your birth certificate after you're born, remember? We fucking made the joke, like, oh, okay, well, so if I can change my, my gender on my birth certificate, <clears throat> then what else can't I change? Like, because obviously, like... You can change it from male or female to other or whatever. You can change your birth certificate. So even if you were born as a woman, you can now retrospectively go back and alter your birth certificate to be a man at the point of birth, which you are not. <laughs> completely, completely disregarding the birth certificate. Squirrel. So you remember that, right? And we made the joke like, okay, so maybe I am actually uh, a man born in 2030. Like, what are, what are you gonna? Are you gonna stop me? This is this is what I believe. Maybe I'm actually a woman who was born in the 1960s. 
we made the joke. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a month later. We, we, are, we are inadvertently memeing jokes into reality now. It's insane. Um, if someone can meme me a Ferrari, that would be awesome. <laughs> Just letting you know. <laughs> Maybe we need to come up with a story. Man, man who does, you know, unknown Australian who does pointless periscopes uh, changes changes his legal status to Ferrari owner. Next thing you know, there's going to be a Testarossa parked outside parked outside the front door. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and there's just going to be keys. Oh, blip, blip. <laughs> Let's rock and roll. God, I love God. I love fluidity and reality. The self-proclaimed young god argues if people can legally change their gender, they sh- he should be allowed to change his age. Welcome to the new world. The 69-year-old pensioner who says he has the body of a 45-year-old <laughs> is taking, leg- taking action to legally change his age to improve his job prospects and luck with women on Tinder. There's the women on Tinder once again, rearing their ugly heads. Dutch entrepreneur Emil Rattelbacht is hoping he will be able to change his date of birth from the 11th of March 1949 to the 11th of March 1969. Why Why does it have to still be the 11th of March? That seems very exact. Has Australia ever made a good car? Derek. Derek, are you kidding me? Wow. Oh, I feel like I have to show you an Australian car now. We're doing this. I'm showing I'm showing you an Australian car now. This is a free for all, by the way. Derek Derek found my Achilles heel. <laughs> okay. Uh this is a famous ad from the nineteen seventies. Australian cars. Australia, what's your favourite sport? Football. Snack. Ice. Animal. Kangaroo. And what's your favourite car, Australia? Holden. Let me see, that's football, meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars, huh? Right. Well, you sure sound like Australia to me. We are. Well, then you better tell me again, because I just might forget. We love football, meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars. Football, meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars. That's football, meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars. I think you better tell me again. We love football, meat pies, kangaroos and holding cars. In case you're wondering, this commercial is brought to you by football, meat pies, kangaroos and Australia's own car. They go together underneath the southern stars. Football and meat pies, kangaroos and holding cars. Makes sense to me. Football, meat pies, kangaroos. And, and never again shall you sully the image of Australian cars since you've seen nothing but meaty snacks and bikini-clad women. <laughs> oh, we do cars, baby. We do cars. <laughs> do you want to say it again? Play it again. Why not? Fuck it. Australia, what's your favourite sport? Football. Snack. Ice. Animal. Kangaroo. And what's your favourite car, Australia? Holden. Let me see, that's football, meat pies, kangaroos and holding cars, huh? Right. 
Well, you sure sound like Australia to me. We are! Well, then you better tell me again, because I just might forget. We love football, meat pies, kangaroos and holding cows. Football, meat pies, kangaroos and holding cows. <laughs> That's football, meat pies, kangaroos and holding cows. Football and meat pies, kangaroos and holding cows. I think you better tell me again. We love football, meat pies, kangaroos and holding cows. In case you're wondering, this commercial is brought to you by football, meat pies, kangaroos, and Australia's own car. They go together underneath the sun and stars. Football and meat pies, kangaroos, and holding cars. Makes sense to me! Football, meat pies, kangaroos. I won't play it again. I will show you something else, though, since we're on the theme. Um, people often ask about Vegemite. Uh, what's it? What is it again? God, I'm a terrible Australian. I'm going to show you um, a song that every Australian kid knows, and this is like one of the oldest, most famous ads in Australian history. Every Aussie kid knows this song, and they sing it still to this day. Look at the red coats. The red coats marching. Vegemite, we all adore our Vegemite. It puts a rose in every cheek. The delicious spread provides the vitamin B1 your family needs daily. Be sure you put Vegemite next to the pepper and salt whenever you set the table. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, just 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 look at those little. Um, oh, okay. One more. No, no. Fuck it. No, that's it. That's it. We're done. We're done. But I'm um, yeah, racist dang Aussies. <laughs> so I was just about to say, look at all those wonderful little white children marching around in the British red coats. <laughs> See you about Vegemite. Doesn't it bring a tear to your eye? <laughs> of course, that would be highly inflammatory and something only an edgelord would say. So, yep. All right, let's get back into let's get back into let's get back to the price of fish. Sam wants to know. He wants to know if that works. I think he wants to make himself 20 years younger. Two marine aviators grounded. Why exactly? Why do you ask? Why were marine aviators grounded? Bob, thanks for joining us. Bob says, I remember the NASCAR racer from Australia speaking highly of Vegemite. Everyone, every Australian speaks highly of Vegemite, mate. If you don't speak highly of Vegemite here, you will probably be shot. Probably, probably. I, I, I don't know. If, I don't know. You know, hundred percent. I can't guarantee, but you may be killed. That's why they were marching around in uniforms just to just to make sure that all the kids don't get themselves shot by speaking ill of Vegemite. 
It puts a rose in every cheek. But really they're sweating because there's like a laser sight on them at the side of the stage that nobody sees. <laughs> Apparently they used to give it to, um, you know, the, the Aussies fighting in World War One and World War II. Um, I think many of them preferred the bullet. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Ah, oh, it's a horrible thing. How can you make jokes like that? You know why? Because I'm an Australian. That's why. Fuck you. The Marine Corps announced this week that two pilots have been banned from flying amid an investigation that they flew a phallic-shaped pattern in the south- in Southern California last week. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> this is peak patriarchy. <laughs> Major Joseph Patterson... A Marine spokesman for the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing said Tuesday that any discipline for the two aviators will be determined after the investigation, according to ABC News. He also said the pilots will provide support from the ground while they are banned from flying. They're nice and hard. The Marines and sailors... The Marines are very hard, trust me. Hard, hard men. The Marines and sailors of the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing will perform at the highest levels expected of professional warfighters and uphold our core values of honour, courage and commitment. Images reportedly showing the flying pattern were posted to, to Twitter late last month by an aviation enthusiast using flight tracking software. I wonder, I wonder at what stage did the aviation enthusiast realise what was happening? And they were like, oh, that's a strange turn. Oh, look at... Wow, wow, they're doing some crazy manoeuvres here. Honey, come and look at... He probably turned into Butthead from Beavis and Butthead at that point. Dude, Beavis. Guy's drawing like a big dick in the sky. The third Marine aircraft wing said in a statement last month that an investigation into the flight pattern had been opened. Well, nothing opens investigations like a big cock in the sky. The T-34C aircraft assigned to Marine Fighter Attack Training Squadron 101, third Marine aircraft wing. Why do the names have to be so long? Can't we just call them the Cock Corps now, from now on? The Penis Patrol flew an irregular flight pattern over the Salton Sea that resembled a phallic image. So they can't even, like, look at how much political correctness is dominating our language now. You can't even say resembled a penis. You have to say resembled a phallic image. What the fuck is a phallic image? Is a phallic image a penis? Yes. Why, why do we have to say phallic image? Is penis now offensive? Think about it. Like, I'm serious. Is the word penis itself offensive now? A scientific, legitimate word. Oh, it, re- it resembled a phallic image. Why are we using this term phallic image? That's ridiculous. Just say, it, just say they drew a dick. Two Marines got in the sky, drew a dick. End of story. Close the fucking book. Case closed. I've, I've made this point before, but I'll make it again. On my travels, you know, in for my work I, I was driving into a, a tunnel in Sydney like this is this is the thing that I hate most about PC language it is unnecessary addition like good language is about um, using the least amount of words possible like that's that's what everybody knows the more succinct the more you know the, the more direct you can make your language the better you are at it <clears throat> but this shit 
about like extending and, you know, being hyperbolic and bombastic in our language and our everyday language and this this infusion of management speak into everyday language, it's got to stop. It's got to end. Just say they drew a penis. You don't have to say the a pattern over the salt and sea that resembled a phallic image. You sound like an idiot when you say things like that. So I was driving into a tunnel and half of the tunnel was closed because people were working. But instead of, you know, it's one of those tunnels where you're driving through and it comes, like the announcement comes over your radio. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure you guys have it. So you're driving through the tunnel and the, the announcement from the tunnel authority or whatever uh, goes over your radio in your car. So if you're listening to a radio station, you're driving along to the music and then all of a sudden, this is an announcement from the tunnel authority. Right? So instead of saying, please keep out of the right lane because people are working, they say, attention drivers, uh, please observe tunnel signage to, you know, facilitate safe maintenance activities. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Just say, stay out of the right lane. People are working. That's fine. Like, everyone understands that. What the fuck is facilitate safe maintenance activities mean? Like what, 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 what activity, because this is the way my brain works. I'm like, what activities, what is the activity going on here? Can you define safe? How can it be safe? We're in a tunnel. I'm doing 80 kilometers an hour. There is no safe in a tunnel doing 80 kilometers an hour. There is only unsafe. If people are on the road doing activities and I'm driving into the tunnel doing 50 miles an hour, something, this is an unsafe thing. Why not just tell me to stay out of the right lane? Then I understand that. By the time I've processed what an activity is, what safe maintenance activities are, and whether or not I can adhere to tunnel signage, I've already hit the guy. I'm, I'm already halfway into the tunnel by that stage. Don't do it to me. Just, just, just be straight up. <laughs> Don't tell me about safe maintenance activities. Just say, get the fuck out of the right lane, you maniac. That'll do. It's fine. Oh, shit, I lost my Twitter page. Roadside Disco. Boom. This is very exciting. I, I understand that. The internet's been an absolute bastard tonight. Whoa. Better get that off. God, come on. What is with this internet today? This is insane. Yeah, drive on the proper side already. That's fine. I'll take that. Even if it is a slight. Oh, God. This is such a buzzkill. Can't get pages to load. <laughs> Slightly a slight. All right, what do we got next? 
Here's one that uh, Jackal sent us. Hope you're still with us over there. Uh, this uh, lady, unfortunately, one of her children was killed in the shooting. Uh, so she says he survived the Las Vegas shooting but did not survive the Thousand Oaks massacre. My son was in Las Vegas with a lot of his friends and he came home. He didn't come home last night and I don't want prayers. I don't want thoughts. I want gun control and I hope to God nobody else sends me any more prayers. I want gun control. No more guns. It's pretty raw, isn't it? It's pretty raw and impassioned. And obviously... Um, I can sympathize with her frustrations and her anguish, even though I couldn't possibly begin to understand it or to feel it myself. But I do sympathize with it. Powerful message. Um, you know, imagine it's kind of like, you know, imagine, imagine surviving you know, some kind of kitchen mishap and then walking out and getting hit by a bus. Like, that's just cruel. That's just cruel. But, you know, I'm almost loath to comment, but as someone speaking from a nation that does have quote-unquote gun control, I'm a licensed firearm owner myself, um... I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm here to tell you that uh, those who want gun control perhaps fundamentally miscalculate the outcomes that will be achieved with gun control, if that makes sense. There are more guns in Australia now than there ever were. And there are still plenty of shootings. What happened with uh, gun control in Australia is they took all of the guns. They they made it in. They made it very difficult for law-abiding citizens to become gun owners, unfortunately. And you know, there's a bunch of hoops you got to jump through and stuff like that, which is you know, I don't I don't mind. That's the law. You got to do what you got to do. Um, but gun the the very the very um, the very term itself, gun control projects a, a a kind of you know it's we've talked about this before the protection meme in politics speech right political speech writing is so much about you you, you guys you, i know some people don't get their head around this but it's all about protection 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 and too many people in society nowadays think that laws protect them from things, but laws don't protect you from things. If laws protected you, then there would be no there would be no murder, there would be no shootings, there would be no drink driving, there would be no tax fraud, there would be no fraud at all, there would be no shoplifting, there would be no jaywalking, there would be nothing. If laws protected you from things, then none of those things would exist. The reality is laws don't protect you from things. They they prosecute offenders and they, they criminalize things. Laws laws turn actions into criminal actions. Laws don't protect you. Laws turn things laws turn people into criminals. If that makes sense. This is why I'm against speech laws. Because, you know, with the introduction of a quote unquote hate speech law, 
you can then you're then criminalizing somebody for saying something. You're turning somebody into a criminal for doing something. That's that's that should be that should be like really 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 what we think about most you know do we want to turn people into criminals for doing x that's the way we should approach it not do we want to protect people from x that's that's fundamentally ass backwards thinking cuz everybody wants to protect people from being killed like everybody wants to protect people from drink drivers everybody wants to protect people from fraud everybody wants to protect people from uh, guys taking little old ladies handbags that's that's not the issue the problem is, do we want to turn this action into a criminal action? And people treat these these laws like the, like let's just write a new law, let's create a new law. They 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 treat it so flippantly. There's very little regard. Why? Because it's all geared around protection. But the sad reality is, the protection doesn't exist. There is no protection. So instead of thinking about new laws in terms of we need to protect people from X, we should understand that laws don't protect people from anything and we should consider new laws as in terms of do we want to turn X people into criminals? Just one man's opinion. Jackals last sent this. I, 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 I did have a little look at this. I, I don't know what this is. I do not know what this is. This is a Q thing. Put it up big here. Hang on a sec. That's better. Someone can help me decipher it. So apparently it was posted posted on Q on June the 21st at 25 to 1 in the morning. We told you proofs were going to be very important soon. New eyes, be ready, 5-5. Five, five. Thank you for your service. Trump protest planned for Thursday, November 8th at 5pm. There are 900 events all over the US. There's always protests planned. Always. If you, if you follow um, some of the more fringe liberal blogs like I, I do, and, you know, maybe perhaps throw a comrade around here and there and you might get invited to some chat rooms and stuff where people are like really serious. <laughs> they really will. They really will tell you what they, what they plan and what they think. It's great. It's great shtick if you can pull it off. But um, there's always 900 protests going at any time. Tom will tell you the same thing. They, these people don't sleep. There, there is never like a, you know, the, there is always a protest all the time. In every city, constantly. The only difference is like the size and, and the magnitude and the effectiveness it has in the media. They're, they're, they don't care so much about how many protests they're doing. They, ca they care about how many cameras are going to be there and you know, how, they, how they can best manipulate the media to give them a sympathetic portrayal. That's really what these guys are into. So I don't really understand. This thing on the right here, I don't know, is this, this wheel here? Uh, 35 lines up with 11, 12, 1, 11. Jackal, you're going to have to like, you're going to have to send me a DM or something and you, you're going to have to decode the decode for me because I don't understand how one thing ties to another thing, unfortunately. I may just be ignorant. 
I'm not sure. Tom's sitting in three cities, right? It, Tom's protesting in three cities right now and also sitting in his bed in his underwear. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic from Tom. Great visuals. Great visual, comrade. <laughs> well, it is for me. Scott Adams. How the right still dominates political meme warfare and why Dems should worry. Oh, Scott Adams tweeted your story. You're kidding me. Oh, Tom Chatelet, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Absolutely incredible. The famous Tom Chatelet, ladies and gentlemen, he's graced us with his presence. That's insane. Wow. Wonderful stuff. Tom Chatelet is protesting in three cities right now whilst he sits in his underwear in front of a PC. This is reality. Wow. Tom Chatelet. Should I... Elaine's asking, should I follow him? Are you kidding? How can you not follow Tom Chatelet? I love it. Read that piece. I just retweeted it. Go out and read that piece. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic because um, I'm sure that the guy wanted to hate Tom, but as many of us have come to understand through knowing Tom, it is impossible to hate Tom. <laughs> and that's evident in his writing. You can tell it starts off really narky, like, ah, oh, this Chatelet guy, but by the end it's kind of like, you know, he's kind of cool. <laughs> it is literally impossible to hate Tom Chatelet. <laughs> Feeling patri very patriotic today because I got a shout out from Anon for my first meme commentary on the election, so I'm shamelessly sharing it, hoping it'll give you all a laugh. Democrats, we won the House. Conservatives, lol. Oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> well done. Further evidence that uh, the Conservatives are better at memeing. Excellent. Uh, from Diane. Stacey Abrams doesn't concede. Talks of a do-over. Oh, of course, yep. That was just a practice turn. That was a practice run. I'm not, just, I'm not sure how successful Stacey Abrams is going to be in the do-over. I won't, I won't read the article. Dem governor candidate Stacey Abrams doesn't concede. Talks of a do-over. Well, you keep reaching for that rainbow, Stace. You keep reaching for that rainbow. As we all know, um, the great lesson in politics is if things don't go your way, just keep complaining until they do. That's how you win. That's how you win. Is that it? Is that all we got? Where the fuck is the rest of my page? My internet is absolutely... It is deplorable. Deplorable. Oh, God. You know, I think, I think this is a sign. I think this is an indicator. I think this is the time. 
ladies and gentlemen, for us to wrap it up and call it a night. Guys, sorry the internet didn't play along. I'll I'll do the um the Nancy Pelosi speech in the podcast some one day next week. I'll do a podcast about the Nancy Pelosi. That was the thing I was looking forward to the most actually was going through the Nancy Pelosi speech. But we'll get back to that. I'll do it as a podcast. By the way, if you don't follow the podcast, the daily just look for the Daily Boogie in iTunes or on Podbean, and obviously subscribe if you want to. Thanks to the people who already do subscribe. This will be a podcast as well. The free-for-all is a podcast too. That and finding tens of thousands of misplaced Dem votes has been soaked in regards to Stacey Abrams. Smoke cigarettes, they're healthier. (laughs) Another little tip of the hat to our friend, Tom Chatelet. Congratulations, my friend. Very well done. Very, it's it's very, it's it's very, you've got to have talent to, you've got to have talent to be, to have someone write an attempted hit piece on you and then have someone like Scott Adams uh, retweet it as a promotion of your work. <laughs> you are transcending ideological genres, my friend. <laughs> someone someone tries to attack Tom Chatelet. Scott Adams promotes it. <laughs> mm. That is talent. But uh, thanks to the guys who have shared the podcast and listened to it. Thanks for downloading. To you guys, Bob Lewis, Sinsoaked, Scott, D. Scott, Elaine, Kimmy, Tom Chatelet, of course. I did say Laney, didn't I? Derek, thanks for joining us. Jay, thanks to the guys on YouTube and Stream.me. Nick Fuentes, thanks for joining us. Anyone else I might have missed, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll be talking again soon. Next time you'll see me is on Trust and Verify Sunday night. Until next time, stay calm, stay rational, God bless, and I'll see you then. Bye-bye.